This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. Being and staying healthy should be one of the most important things we do. It's a topic I love to talk about. So I reached out to an old friend, Chris Bates, the USA men's water polo team sports medical manager. We talk about finding a college, career choices for a better life, and sugar. He's a mover and a shaker in the athletic trainer industry and has some wonderful ideas to improve it. I kind of do a quick survey and I'm like, wow, I can see people like bleeding things. And so I'm like, all right, let me just get closer. And, and by the time I got closer to the scene, that every, like it had started raining. It literally was like a scene from a movie. It started raining. You can, there's, you can look at the news reports and stuff on it. It started raining and just pandemonium was the best way to describe it. Just people all over the place screaming. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from cancer survivors, small business owners, and NBA photographer, Nathaniel Butler. I was working with Sports Illustrated, and as a senior in college, I got tasked with working on part of the, of the bathing suit issue for Sports Illustrated. And I was like, this, this is not terrible. This is law school, the library, or I was actually tasked with taking Polaroids of the, the women as they came in for fittings for uh, a swimsuit issue. I was like, yeah, as a 20-year-old, as a that's not terrible. The rest of my conversation with Daniel Butler can be found on our archives at justagoodconversation.com. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor for diving into my conversation with Chris Bates. Okay, so now that we've gone for an hour talking, Chris, how in the hell are you? Man, I'm, I'm actually tired. I'm like, sheesh, <laughs> what are we going to talk about now? We've, we're going to get to the good stuff. We've talked for an hour. We've sat through probably like a 4.7 earthquake. Facts. <laughs> I'm almost done with my breakfast. You're almost done with your breakfast. And we're just starting. <laughs> yes. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Um, just being reconnected with my story, right? I mean, you... you even though we may not have known each other really well, but you were a part of my story, right? Yeah. When I was back at Cal State Fullerton, you know, I just, and I just stumbled upon your podcast and like, oh, Matt's doing a podcast now. And I just remember hoping Matt would take a picture of me in the dugout <laughs> so I could like have something to share with my folks, you know, at Cal State Fullerton. So yeah, man, I'm happy to be here with you these, these many years later. Well, I'll tell you, this face has changed a little bit. Oh, that This beard is strong. I had, strong. A, goatee. I had a goatee yeah. back in the day. But yeah. it was a trim, it sweet was... <laughs> goatee. This is now a manly beard. Uh, and full of gray. <laughs> Not full. You got some. <laughs> it's, you got some. It's coming. Yeah, it's yeah. coming. Well, well that's what it. that's what wives and kids will do to you. Mm. <laughs> they add I love it. my wife and kids. Right, yes. But they do add gray. But that's good. But that's good. That means you're a bad experience. Yeah. If it was as black as night and had no gray in it, you'd be like, wow, the guy's not doing much. What is he doing? Yeah. Man? Yeah. <laughs> He's running them Sharpie through it and right. coloring it up. Yeah. No, it's going to stay this way. How long have you had that beard? In that length, in that. Well, in this in length. In that setting. Probably five years, maybe. Wow. But I mean, I've kept the beard uh, it's been at least half this length for well over a decade. I've put it this way. I've had my beard long enough to where I can remember when James Harden, I started getting James Harden references. Oh. Oh, you, like, Harden. And I'm just like, yeah, I actually had this beard long before Harden, too. Yeah. So, and his was way down on his neck. You know, I keep mine. <laughs> his is uncontrollable. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah, exactly. So, at least a decade, I would say. 
All right, so you 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 referenced it. Our 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 story, your path. Yep. We crossed paths at a wonderful time at Cal State Fullerton. Yeah. Baseball mm. at Fullerton. Magical time. Good times. How did you find yourself at Fullerton? Uh, a lady named Linda Cambrone. I think that was her last name, Cambrone. Linda. This sounds like a good story when you started off with a woman. Yeah. <laughs> Linda um, came to my high school campus at Bellflower High School. I graduated from Bellflower. I, sp- I spent two years at Bellflower, 11th, 12th grade year. Um, I think it was more performative than anything else because <laughs> I wanted to go to a real school. I was in private school all my life up until then. Anyway, um, Linda came and was doing on-site um, on-site admissions, essentially, trying to recruit people for the school. So good on Cal State Fullerton, because otherwise I wouldn't, probably wouldn't have, they weren't on my radar. I okay. Who and was on your radar? <clears throat> to be honest, I, nobody specifically, right? I mean, and coming up as a kid in Southern California, UCLA, USC are always the big guns. Right. But I don't know if they were on my radar per se, because I was a senior in high school at the time that she came to campus. And if I look back, I didn't have any kind of strategy in place to apply for colleges, but I knew I was going to college. So this kind of gets back to some of the stuff I was, we were talking about before we started recording. Right. I knew I was going to college. I was smart. I always had high marks when we did standardized testing in grade school. I'm always, you know, I would, I would be at the top of the deal you know, coming from a family where you're going to go to school, they value, valued education, those types of things. My mom graduated with a, with a bachelor's degree, but my dad didn't. So I wasn't a first generation, but it was still like, you're going to go do this. Right. Um, but there was no plan. But there was no plan, Matt. I mean, and I had counselors, too. Now, I mean, I, no, now, did, now, did your parents not kind of push you for a plan or did your counselors just kind of not I line think, you up? I think both. Like my parents didn't really know. Okay. But my dad didn't really know. My mom didn't really know either, right? It's it's tough to navigate this stuff. The A through F requirements to get into it, blah, 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 right? So she didn't really know. She had some ideas. So the way that my mom mitigated those those discrepancies of knowledge that she had was I would attend, like, Saturday Science Academies. And so I was, like, in terms of the education piece, highly educated. But in terms of navigating the process of getting into school – she herself didn't really wasn't too familiar with that, but she would put me in programs that would help us navigate some of those things. Okay. But again, it was just like one offs. Right. It was like mass. It was kind of like mass things. Right. So it was enough for me to know that, oh, I know I at least knew I needed to fill out some college applications, but I didn't have a plan in place, nor did I have any accountability to ensure that. I had applications submitted and those types of things. Like nobody was asking like, hey, Bates, when are you going to start applying for school? Right. Now, did you have a plan? Did you have any idea, like, in your head, like, ooh, I want to become a X, Y, or Z? No. I just knew I wanted to. So my dad was a registered nurse. Okay. And my mom was a recreational therapist. So I, I was, I've been around the people's helps business all my life. Um, and when I, would go to, when I would go to work with them from time to time, my dad worked in pediatrics intensive care unit, PEDs wow. ICU, and he worked at a, at a hospital called King Drew Medical Center. Um, if you're familiar with South LA, you will know they, they, it's a very famous hospital. It's, uh, it's been dubbed as killer King for a lot of people, even within the community, because it was a high level trauma center 
at the time. It's mm-hmm. not anymore. But at the time, it was a high-level trauma center. In fact, general surgeons for the U.S. would go and get trained there um, because when you think about South Central L.A. The massive amount of trauma that was going through there was yep. unbelievable. Almost always when I would go and visit my dad in pediatric intensive care, they only have six beds, right? That's all they could, could. At least one was, Dad, what happened? You know, I'm a little curious kid. Dad, so what's wrong with this person? Uh, this kid, this little baby's, you know, maybe was a premature baby or whatever. Oh, what happened? And remember, pediatrics goes up to 18. Right. What about this kid? GSW. What's GSW? Gunshot wound. Gunshot wound. Gunshot wound. Dad, what about this? You know, a couple months later. Oh, and who are these? Gunshot wound. Gunshot wound. Oh, and then I get old enough. How many times? 16 bullets. Da, 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 da. You know, it's, it was nuts. So part of that intrigued me. Because then I saw my dad is like, wow, like dad's taking care of these very highly critical people. And he's having, you know, and then as I start getting older, I would start learning of the conversations that were happening in the waiting room Mm -hmm. that your kid's not going to make it or whatever the case is. And those things were sad. Um, I actually, I remember just a side note. I actually remember my dad coming home with a fragrance, like he was gifted a fragrance. Really? And the fragrance was called Wings. Because one of the families, for the work that he had done, I think the, I think their child ended up passing away. Um, but the but the but the family gave him this fragrance called Wings because they saw him as you know just the care he gave him. So long story short, I could go into that more and more. <laughs> Maybe we come back around to it. But I was you know I'm exposed to the realities of inner city living and different things like that. But I knew and and excuse me, doctors nurses my dad was a nurse so i saw how smart these people were right and how 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 intelligent they were and these types of things but i didn't like the smell of a hospital it i didn't like the way it smelled and and my particular experience with the hospital was pretty was pretty bleak um that's a rough area too and that, that hospital. was a, that particular hospital and on that particular time and in that particular unit um, and, and, and there were some brighter sides to it, but for the most part, I just knew enough to know that I didn't want to work in a hospital setting. So I was naturally drawn to these things, but I said, man, I, I like medicine and, and, and I'm fascinated by it. And my dad, they were in this field, allied health and my mom too, right? So my mom, many people don't even know what a recreational therapist is, but there you can be a therapist who specializes in creating recreational opportunities for people, board games and things like that. So she worked at a mental institution, a, psych- a psychiatric ward um, right across the street. So I would go to work with her too. Being exposed to all of those things, I just knew I wanted to do, I, I, I was like, I just want to do medicine or something like it, but I know I don't want to work in a hospital. Okay. So I ended up, at some point, I, it just ended up being, oh, I want to go, I want to do sports medicine. But Matt, I had no idea what that meant. Were you an athlete at the time? I uh, yeah, I played sports all my life. Okay, so yep. did you even have like a trainer, athletic person? Absolutely. That you kind of nope, no athletic trainer. Um, so yeah, that leads I'm at you. a crossroads right, right now. We can go. We can take this conversation a bunch of different ways. <laughs> take it, take it. Let's go. Because oh, so maybe we will forecast <laughs> one path and come back to it. But so no, I did not have an athletic trainer in high school, which. Now, fast forward 2022, which is why my partner and I, my buddy Adam and I um, started this. And and then we have another guy, Kristen, Dr. Ross, who's joined us. Um, We started this podcast, but a nonprofit organization to address the disparity of athletic trainers 
um, that people don't have athletic trainers still. So no, I did not have one. So I did not know what an athletic trainer was when I was young. Interesting. But I played sports, park and rec, park okay. and rec sports. And there was travel ball stuff, but I didn't really, my parents didn't get me into like travel ball and club, club. I played basketball, baseball. I, tr- I played football, tackle football for like two weeks and realized that wasn't for me. <laughs> um, All two weeks. Two weeks, man. And, you know, I, I would say a lot of it had to do with the, the adults there, the coaching. You know, they didn't, they weren't, they weren't compassionate to an eight-year-old, right? Or right. Whatever. No. And to be fair to that person, they should, that's not the culture they were trying to breed. You know, they were trying to breed gridiron soldiers right. who could grow up to go and play football and get scholarships and, and try to kill people. Right. Literally. Next level. Right. Hurt people, kill people, go hurt people and kill people and score touchdowns while you're at it. <laughs> um, it's the game has changed for sure. Right. It's, it's, oh, it has. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, to his credit, it was like, oh, this is just a culture. And I don't, I, you know, I thankfully at a young age, I just realized this, this is not a good culture for me. So played parks and recs most of my life and all my life. And, uh, played high school basketball. Yeah. And at no point did I know what an, I didn't know what an athletic trainer was, nor did I encounter one. So again, all I knew was sports medicine. So now we'll come back to Linda, um, Linda Cambrone, who's at Bellflower high school in 1999 going into 2000 year. Cause I graduated in 2000 and she's given her spill about Cal state Fullerton. Right. And, uh, <laughs> just, a quick side note about my lack of planning. I didn't even know she was going to be on campus until she was there. I, I had gone, to, left the class to go to the, I had left the class that I was in to go to the bathroom and I saw one of my friends walk in and I'm like, hey, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm getting ready to go listen to this woman from Cal State Fullerton talk. And I'm like, oh, I want to get out of class. I'm going to come and listen to her talk too. So I go back in class and like, oh, I got this college thing I need to go to. So anyway, listening to Linda Tell us about Cal State Fullerton. I didn't even know where Fullerton was at the time. Where is it? You know, and she's selling us on it. And then I just raised my hand after her spill. And I said, so do you have a sports medicine program? She really didn't know what it was, right? Because you think about these people. They're, you know, they're trained enough to try to sell the school. But they don't know the odds and ends of some of this stuff. So she said, yeah, actually we do. It's called kinesiology, you know, and. You know, you, the, and I'm like, kinesiology, what is that? You know, and she's like, well, it's just, you know, it's the study of movement and da, 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 da. And she couldn't, she didn't explain it as well as I knew it now. But she did a good enough job for me to say, oh, okay, cool. Right. She's a salesperson. Yeah. Yeah. So they got kines, it's sports medicine. Um, she looked at my transcripts and said, hey, if you finish this semester with this grade and this class, you're in the Cal State Fullerton. So in my mind, I'm like, great, I'm going to college. Cause I'm going to finish this class with this grade. No problem. And so I can't, I remember coming home and telling mom like, all right, mom, I'm, I'm going to be going to Cal state Fullerton. So we, let's go check it out and see if, you know, if that's where I need to go. So long story short or longer, um, finished, graduate, you know, ended up doing all the paperwork and applications, get accepted to Cal state Fullerton. I go through their, they have a program called the summer bridge program, which yeah. was phenomenal. They created this program, you know, in conjunction with other folks on that campus who knew, the gaps that exist from high school to college, especially for people in the inner city, you know, and coming from where I came from. So the goal of the summer bridge was to put people on campus, house you, we had our IDs and all of that stuff. So that by the time the fall came, when all the other students came, we already felt, you know, like we were up to snuff. Yeah. You're up and running. Yeah. So went through that, discovered the Kines program in more detail 
and find out that kinesiology is a beautiful, beautiful subject that I loved. And then is when I discovered athletic training. I did not know about an athletic training profession or an athletic trainer until I stepped on the Cal State Fullerton's campus. What was that first class like for you? Uh, in athletic training yeah. specifically? Oh, it was great. I think it was probably, I don't remember what it, one of, one of the first, if not the first, was uh, a class taught by Julie Max, um, a legend, legend, legend. Absolutely. Um, s- still, still kicking, man, doing her thing. Yeah, she's doing her thing. Um, yeah, it was uh, intro to athletic training, you know, and it was um, learning terms and um, she would invite us to come and hang out in the athletic training room, you know, for the athletes at Cal State Fullerton. And I think just her, um, maybe like my propensity and how I grew up coupled with her passion and she's this short woman just with so much power, just what really attracted me, you know? And I'm like, man, I love, there's something about her that just exudes confidence and compassion and and no bullshit and all of that combined, you know? Um, so she did a good job of, of that. And yeah, I just, I remember as I studied the terms, it's, I, it was like, oh, this stuff comes natural for me. This is, I like this stuff. I'm interested in it. So I knew pretty much at that intro level when we were just studying terms, medical terms, that, yeah, this is something that I want to do. Wow. Yeah, this is something I want to do. One other deciding factor for me was, um, so I went into Cal State Fullerton to to study athletic training eventually, right? But I went in as a true freshman. Most people who come to Cal State Fullerton, they have their strategy all laid out, and they don't start, they don't start at Cal State Fullerton. Right. right? Go, they yeah. transfer in, right, once it's time. But I was one of the few who started as a freshman, you know, getting all my prerequisites at Cal State Fullerton, whereas sometimes the recommendation is get all your prereqs at a junior college or whatever and transfer in. And I remember one class in particular, they were like, hey, you should take some of my academic advisement from Fullerton was like, hey, you should take your biology and your, your, your anatomy class through the biology department. It, we had to take a separate anatomy class and a separate f- physiology class, not to combine a- anatomy phys. But we recommend you take those classes at a junior college because there's a guy on this campus who teaches it, and he's notorious for failing people. And I'm like, yeah, okay, well, I hear that. But, I mean, I'm just going to – I'm already here at school. I'll, I'll enroll. Let me go try it. I'll sign up for the, the, the anatomy class in the bio department mm-hmm. to tick that box as a prerequisite to get into the athletic training program. And sure enough, man, he was a hard ass, like the very first, like literally he was kephotic, like he was a hunchback guy, hunchback and swayback, old white dude, just kind of walking around in his drab biology lab classroom. And man, I remember, Matt, one of the first days we walked into class, he said, 70% of you guys are going to fail. He said it. And whatever it was in me, right, I, you know, I could have went one or two ways like, oh, I could have followed some of my peers that day who got up at that moment and walked out. Right. You can, and you could see like it was palpable in the room. Like folks were just kind of like, whoa, did he just say that? So that was one thing that I could have done. I mean, I still was kind of like, whoa. But the other path was, all right, I guess I'm going to be one of the 30 percent that pass. And that was that's where I landed. And so um, I ended up ace in the class I got an A in the class and I actually asked him to write me a letter of recommendation to get into the athletic training program and he was the one who was notorious from the academic advisors 
in the athletic training program to tell us to steer away from. And I got the letter of rec from him from to get him. into that program. So let's let's decipher it. What was the rep and then what was the reality? Was he hard or was it reputation or what was he doing? Was he getting you really prepared for the real world or was he just an ass? Like, I, think was, I don't think he was an ass. I do think there was a there was a hard nosed reputation that he had, but I also think there was. Uh, it, it, I came to understand him as he did this because a lot of this same class, you had people who were going to go into med school and other things mm-hmm. taking this class. So what essentially, man, this man just loved anatomy, and he wanted to make sure people knew it. So I think from his perspective, he's like, if you're going to be a doctor, you need to know anatomy really, really well. Yeah. You know, I mean, he had us studying anatomy of animals and all kinds of things. I mean, we we would have to reach our hand into a box and feel a particular bone and then identify it. Or it was just a lot of crazy things. Wow. So I think I I think to your point, um, he was he was actually a a, um, he was a good human. I love a guy like that. Yeah. I love a guy who's not going to sit there and be a pussyfoot around and be like, yeah. yeah, you, you all get a chance. Yeah. No, like he's yeah. going to cut through the bone right now and be like, okay, listen, yeah. you're going to learn in this class. That's right. When you leave this class, you will be prepared. And so if you don't have an expectation to come in here and learn and study and work, then you should leave now. And that's kind of what I, that's right. what I took that as. That's so he kind of was people. filtering. I right. think he was shaking out the wheat from the chaff. <laughs> You know, right away, that was probably more of like a shot. And he's an old guy, man. So he's probably experienced enough to know, like, let me say something to get these people's attention. Um, but he would always come to, to the point. He would open up the lab on weekends and things like that so we could come and do extra work. Right. So. Um, but you left that class a better person, right? And my, you know, <laughs> I don't know how it will, this, I might need to sharpen the saw a little bit um, currently, but. I would say my, one of my strong suits as a practitioner, even today, whether it's strength and conditioning or athletic training is just my awareness of the anatomy. Yeah. Because that was a fat book and I never put it in my backpack. I always carried it around, you know? Wow. So always on it. So I'm glad that I went to that class that we were advised to steer away from, you know, you know, just because of the history of the guy, because it ended up being like one of my strongest. That's a good way to accept the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Don't back down, accept it. And mind you, man, I like at the time I wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to be brave and I'm going to be courageous and I'm going to fuck this guy. You know, it was, it it wasn't that conscious, right? you know? So just to be clear, right. Like I, I, but, but I think that also speaks to, but you accepted the challenge. I did. Yeah, I did. I did, and 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 maybe that shows character. Somebody, it's big. somebody smarter than me can come and maybe help dissect what, <laughs> what, uh, what led me to that decision, you know. But I'm sure, I I know enough to know for sure how I grew up and the the cult, the values that my my parents instilled in me, but also, you know, what uh, Malcolm Gladwell has this book David and Goliath, and in that book mm-hmm. he talks about the advantages of disadvantages. So I'm able to see how some of my disadvantages growing up, you know, which weren't like crazy but they were there um disadvantages and dysfunctions actually served to be advantages you know later on right yeah 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 adversity builds people overcome you have to figure out a way to overcome that stuff right yeah yeah Yeah. you don't want always to be living on easy street you have no idea when it gets rough where are you at can you pull through right that's big yeah so at, at your time at fullerton 
you know, we don't want to judge them and say, did they prepare you? But did you walk out of there feeling like you were ready to go? Oh, hell yeah. Pre- nah, we're gonna, I'm going to judge them. They prepared me. Because what I didn't say earlier is not only did I find out what an athletic trainer was and that that profession existed at Cal State Fullerton, but I found out that Cal State Fullerton had the best program in the country at the time. And you didn't know. You just, I didn't know. Yeah. Linda just kind of said, hey, yep, kid. Come on down. <laughs> I'm trying to meet my quota and get some, maybe get some more black and brown kids yeah. to Cal State Fullerton. Hell, any kids at this and, point. And, uh, yeah. So, I, got, I got the checkbox. Yep. I got, you know. And, um, and not only that, um, yeah, I know I'm biased, but Cal State Fullerton, if, it, if you don't want to say it was the best, it was for sure one of the best. Um, but not only that, Julie Max was the president of the National Athletic Trainers Association at the time. Yeah. And she was the first woman president. Um, so that there was all I've of these. I've seen her work her magic. She's unbelievable. There were all of these just, it was just the perfect storm, man. So, you know, I'm a man of faith and I, you know, it, it was hard for me to, to, I have a hard time taking too much credit for things, Matt. I mean, I know we've been talking up until this point mm-hmm. about, you know, working hard and all of that. And I do. But even in that hard work, man, it's like, how does that happen? How, how does it happen that I have no, I, I didn't have any strategy for college in terms of like my peer. I mean, I had some loose strategy. I mean, for right? all you know, Cal State, you know, Santa Barbara could have, or uh, San right. Bernardino or, or something. Or, or right, whoever, right. Right, could have shown up yeah. that day. Cal State or Chino yeah. or Chico. And if they sold it good enough, I potentially, I definitely would have considered Hey, it. mom and dad, I'm going to Yeah, Chico. let's go. So, so there was some, some, some effort, right? But it wasn't as put together as some of my, my high school peers at the time, right? Where they were taking the SAT 5,000 times and going to all the preps and got everything in a row, right? Right. <clears throat> Dad went to this school. I'm going to follow. Right, right. All of those things. So, um, yeah. And then for me to get there and at the time that I did, not only like Julie Max is the president of the NATA, but not only that, the other thing that I do as a strength and conditioning coach, right? Um, Lee, Dr. Lee Brown was there and he's a very, he's a leader in the field. Um, he's retired now, mm-hmm. but sh- shortly after I arrived to Fullerton, I, he was the president of the National Strength and Conditioning Association. So there's all of these heavy hitters right here in little old Fullerton. So it became this little oasis of people doing big things. Did you just soak it up? Oh, my gosh. I soaked it up. I soaked it up. They prepared me really, really well. I left there with so much confidence um, and pride, you know, tight and pride. And then not to mention, you know, you you get the opportunity to work. The baseball team was thriving. We talked about How did you find yourself on the baseball team? Well, so once you get it, so... It took me three times to get into the athletic training education program, by the way. So you have to get accepted. Right. You have to you have to apply. You have to get into the school. Right. So once you're in school, that doesn't mean you're in the actual athletic training program. Right. You have to apply. I had to apply through. I applied three times. I knew the first time I applied, I likely wasn't going to get in because I was a freshman and rarely do they accept freshmen. Mm -hmm. Right. But again, just something I'm like, I'm just going to apply to get my name in the hat. They need to just start knowing who I am because I'm going to be in there someday. So let me just go ahead and start the introduction. <laughs> I think that's kind of was my idea. Hi, I'm Chris. That's right. I'll see you in a couple years, but nice to meet you. Um, so after I got in, so that, the, the, you know, after the third time that I got in, after the third time I applied, I got in. Um, so now I'm probably like, I've probably, acqui- I acquired so many units. So I probably was like a sophomore. I was probably like a junior 
in school in terms of how many credits I had at the time. Wow. So I knew I graduated with more credits than I needed when I eventually left Cal State Fullerton. But I stayed longer because to be in the athletic training program, you have to do a certain number of hours just as an athletic trainer. So on the tail end, I took just a bunch of like silly classes to keep my workload up so I could stay in the program. I ended up with baseball, though, because, I mean, how the programs work is you you have rotations and they assign you to different places. But then as you become a senior in the program, you can put in a request. And so I'm like, baseball is the highest level sport on the campus at the time. So so why not? So I I asked for baseball and they gave it to me. Wow. And what a run. Oh, my gosh. We could (laughs) could dig into that, too. But, yeah, that was. So you had you had oh, three, oh, four. I was there, so I was in the same class as Turner. Okay. So Justin Turner, Red, so Blake Davis, and um, was it uh, Brett, was it Pill, Pill? We called him Pilly? Yeah. First Brett, baseman. Brett Pill. Um, Joe Turgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, I still keep in touch with Joe. Joe's coaching. Uh, yeah, Concordia. Concordia. Yep. Yeah, know. he's on my list. I love to okay. get him on. Yeah. I've known him since he was in high school. Really? Yeah. Is that so kind of, okay. He was supposed to be, you know, I hate labeling him supposed to be, but he was supposed to be like the next Katze, Phil Nevin. Hmm. He was like Orange County Athlete of the Year, Gatorade, blah, 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 all the Baller. labels. Baller. Right. Led his team to everything. And it, he comes to Fullerton, and as you know, the talent there is just like, you. it's funny. You walk on that first day and you go, oh, I'm all CIF. Well, I'm all so am I. So am I. So am I. So am I. I won in NoCal, and I won this. I won that. Blah, yep. blah, blah. I won in San Diego. Oh, I'm I'm all Gatorade. I'm so all am I. And so am I. And so am I. It's like, yep. I thought I was a big fish. Yeah. You are. And to be just fair, now, Joe is a big fish. Yeah. Right. Now you're just in a big fish with a lot of other big fish in a small tank. Yeah. And Based he, on the strategy. Right. Or whatever and that was just, yeah. yeah and, and you got... You got like Shane Costa, you know, coming in as he's a junior and Joe's a friend. Like you just had players coming and going in that period of time. Mm. Where do you fit in? Right. You know, it's a good question. And I mean, you were there like in 04 when they win. He's the only guy I take a picture with. Mm. I've known all those guys. And he asked for it probably. No. Oh, okay. I asked for it. Oh, nice. Because you said, yep. So, like the year prior, you know, Justin blows his face off. And I'm babysitting him, and I'm taking him through the airport, and I'm taking donuts and putting him in milk and feeding him like a, you know, little bird. Uh. I've known Joe for ever now, and they win, and all hell's breaking loose. Things are calming down. He's kind of sitting in the dugout, just kind of taking it in. Slide up beside him. I said, "Joe, can we take a picture?" Nice. And he's like, "Yeah, sure." I just held up my camera before I was for selfies. Be- yeah, before it was quote unquote a selfie, and just <laughs> took a picture of the two of us. Mm. That's it. Yeah. But it's just like to see a guy like that grind it out, uh, stick around, didn't bail, win. Like it was fantastic. Joe didn't fit in. He found his place of belonging. From, yeah, for sure. From my experience with him, like Joe stood out for sure. And now when you look at him. You know he's he's in his lane, dude. And, yeah, and he's I, Matt I think Fahey's he's with him. And Fahey's with him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I came that following year. So I was there oh five oh six. Yeah. So we lost. I think we lost to like North Carolina. Yeah, Andrew Miller, that stud. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Him and West Romer going West, at it. Yep. That was it. That was it. Yep. That was the year. Yeah. West Romer shoving it on Max Scherzer uh, yes. against Missouri in that regional That's game. That's right. Yes, man. 
Yeah. That, see, that, like, you dealt with that kind of cat. Like, Wes Romer was a different creature. Yeah. But, you know, it was different. He was a different creature. I knew he was different, but we were peers. We right. were more like peers, so I didn't see the... No, you know, and like now, now you, now now you look back, at him and be like, like... Man, Wes is... That's our uh, that's our Porsche. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it, a high maintenance car, you know. Is it int- Was it? You look back at it now with some gray hair and that beard. And you look back yeah. at it now and go, "Wow, when we're the same age, I looked at it so differently than I, if I look at it now." And I go, "Whoa." Yeah. Oh, for sure. Whoa. For everybody, right? Whether it's Turner or 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 um, Danny Dorn, any Dorner, of those guys. Yeah, yeah all Blake. of those guys. Yeah, Joe Turgeon, um, and even said like Joe. Uh, What's Joe's last? I can't remember Joe's last name, but he, he was a, oh man, I don't remember his last name, but yeah, there's just a lot of guys where like later on, I'm able to see like, oh man, I could see how those personalities, they are where they are now too. Mm -hmm. So was, how was it for you being around baseball? Different. Different. Were you a baseball guy? I played a couple, you know couple years of uh i played t-ball growing up for sure and then (laughs) a couple you know i played a couple years of uh i don't know if it's considered little league but you know we were pitching the ball um i ended up stop i didn't play after a while but i loved it i loved it It because it was the alpha male sport on that campus yeah so i think that that factor and knowing how high level the sport was let's face it cal state fullerton commuter school not a whole lot of school pride there, like other schools that have big, powerful sports. Right. Right. So baseball was like the claim to fame for Fullerton. Like if we had a chance to have any national notoriety from an athletic standpoint, it was going to be from these guys. Right. Mm-hmm. So that that made it feel good, too. Right. And I'm these legendary coaches. Right. Coach Hook and um, Horton, Coach Horton and all these other guys. And you're working with Chris all the time, right? Chris Muma is a legend in athletic training, right? So, um, yeah, exactly. And then just, you know, being out there was so fun. You know, they were very inclusive. Um, you know, I was able to go out and shag balls and play catch. And <laughs> I remember they had me on first base while the middle infielders were running a drill, grounding drills and having to throw the first. And, boy, they had some heat on that stuff. And I remember Hookie saying, like, hey, hey take some of it off. <laughs> Take some of it off of Bates. You know, uh, we don't want him getting hurt out here. But well, he's going to have to ice I'm himself. Like, yeah. Yeah, what was that? Okay, so people don't understand, like, especially at the college level, when you're in that team, you're, you're a member of the team. Even Yeah, right. The photographer. Right. Everybody. Right. Yeah. Like, I shagged balls at Santa Barbara. Like, Yeah, man. Like, you're like, hey, we need someone in left. And I'm like, uh, okay. Let's go. Yeah, okay. I don't want to hear it, Matt. Yeah. Get your glove and get out there. So what was that like being like now you're repairing the team, you're in the team, you're playing with the team? Like it's a different level of that. Yeah. Like we'll never have that experience. I was a part of the team, right? I mean, I mean, Truly. So it was so the same experience. Did you have a glove? I, had, I started bringing my own glove. I, right. had, I owned my own glove, so I ended up, pack, it stayed in my kit. Crazy um, to think about that. It was awesome. Yeah, that, you know, <laughs> practice. You know, we got got the injury ice ready, got the water ready, got my medical kit stock, making sure I've got all the supplies there, and my glove. And you get your Rollins A two two thousand or something. Whatever it was, yeah. <laughs> but I had it, you know, and I would start talking gloves to guys, and it, I mean, it was cool, man. So, so there was that fascinating experience. There was a reality. There was a reality of me being the minority there, right? I was like, I think at the time I might have been the only black person out there, right? But Wait, was it? I think so. 
Was Bobby Andrews gone? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know Bobby. Okay. Yeah, yeah. he might have been gone. Oh, five. Oh, five oh six. Yeah. So, and if 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 not, but still, just right. Very few, right? Um, but beyond that, like I, you know, I was able to work through that, and the that it, that wasn't a factor. Okay. You know, that wasn't you know. So I want to say that like that didn't become a factor to me. But when you asked me how was it, any new space that I step into. Like that's a reality for most of us. Many of us won't talk about it, but right. that's a it's and and for a lot of people it's unconscious, right? But for some of those who those of us who work on awareness and stuff, it's like, oh, okay, let me see where I'm at. All right, cool. Do you assess that often? One hundred percent, it happens often. I mean, now at a point in my life, I'm forty now. That assessment still happens, but it's I do it on the fly. You know, and it's like, what, a, like, a, like a Navy SEAL. And what's the assessment? <laughs> Just to know your surroundings? All of that, yeah. Who am, like, who am I around? Who's around me? Because then that starts to dictate or help me to know how I need to navigate, right? How I need to talk, how I need to act, if I want to, how I need to fit in, how, you know, all of those things, right? So that I can... I can get the best experience, right? You know, and and help other people have the best experience with me too. Honestly. When did you start becoming aware of that? Uh, probably when I went to Bellflower High School, because up until that point, I I went to a segregate. I, it it wasn't legitimately segregated, but it was. It's schools are still segregated in a lot of ways, Matt. You know, geography because right. of the geography, exactly. Right, where so, people live. Becomes a geography thing. Exactly. And how, yeah, so we could get into that too, right? And where people live is a geography thing too, right? Um, but yeah, like how many, how many Koreans live in South LA? Few. If you move in, you're segregated. It's very odd. Certain like all parts, of a sudden, yeah. yeah. So I went to a private school that was predominantly like black and brown, right? So a lot of minority, there were a few white folks there. Um, and then when I left that, so I, actually I was at a, I was at a, one private school in Compton, grade school. Then I went to junior high and ninth, tenth grade at another school in Compton High School. Um, not Compton High School, a school, a high school in, in Compton, Compton a, right. pri a private school. Both of those schools were predominantly, you know, minority, ethnic minority. And then when I went to uh, Bellflower, is when I had to start becoming aware because it was like, oh, there was more. There was even more of other minorities there, in addition to like white people. You know, right. and so I, I think it was at that time where I started my awareness started to increase. It wasn't like I didn't have any bad experiences per se, but now it's just, just to be aware just of the awareness. Room. Like, oh, right. you know, like I mean, just the same way you would see a different color, right, on the spectrum. You know, it's like, oh, oh, I've never seen that color before, right? So, um, which was helpful, right, mm -hmm. in whatever way. But I probably, I mean, it was probably in college where I, I that reality started to set in a little deeper for me at Cal State Fullerton, for sure, because now I'm the minority, for sure. Oh, yeah, right? <laughs> I, think, I think blacks only make up like 3 or 4% of the whole enrollment. And now, probably, I don't know. I mean, at the time it was, for sure. I think it's, yeah, and for black, yeah, it's probably, it's Latino is high. Right. Right. But, and um, Latino women, it's high. Yeah, and Latino yeah. women. Um, but I think it's even boosted since I was there, but for sure when I was there, it was like, yo, this is... So it was, I was very apparent for me then. I mean, there were a lot of, and, and it, and it showed up again, it didn't show up in, um, intentional disrespectful ways, but it showed up for sure. You know, yeah, if you, if you cultural stuff, right, right. If you go through your whole semester and you're the only black kid in all of your classes, it becomes apparent. Mm -hmm. You walk in the room and you're like, 
So you're already thinking, here's how it shows up a lot. I'm already thinking there's stigmas about me that the majority of people think about. Mm -hmm. So I've got to, there's always in this back of my mind, like, okay, I've got to try to prove that I'm not that. Right. Um, then there's other things about me that actually I do like and are true about me. I do like to wear baggy clothes at the time, or I do like to wear fitted caps and dress with, you know, I like to wear jerseys and all of that. Um, how many times do you think people assume you had to be an athlete? Uh, especially at Fullerton. Like, Oh, you're on the track team. Oh, you yeah. play basketball. Thankfully, nobody's ever asked me. So on an honest, on honest answers, I really don't know. And I didn't think about it at the time. So I yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, like, so that assessment is always happening because, you know, I, I have to wrestle with, you know, code switching is a real thing, right? I need to wrestle with, I'm not going to talk around these, and, and everybody code switches. You, everybody, yep. it doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. You're going to start. I do it. It happens. All, absolutely. Needs, and it's actually has its benefits. Yes. Right. So like, if I'm going to go in for an interview, I'm going to code switch to speak the language of the particular organization or job that I'm going to try to apply for. Right. But there's also cultural code switching as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So. I have to make these assessments often when I first step into a room so that I can know who's in the room and how I, you know, yeah. how I need to, how I need to talk to make sure that I'm understood and making sure that people understand me or right. that I understand people. Right. You know, how we do it with men and women. Same, oh, everything. Gen right. Yeah. yeah, yeah Doesn't matter. It. Age. Right. Gender, age too. Yeah, yeah. All of it. If we're talking to someone who's 75, we're going to talk Louder, differently. Slower. Right. Louder. Than if we yeah. do, if we're talking to a bunch of 15 year olds right now. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's definitely something that I have to, that I, I don't have to do, but it, it I do it. You it's know? aware. And I think it helped, it's helped me to get to where I am and it yeah. still helps me, helps me navigate. What was your plan when you left Fullerton? My plan when I left Cal State Fullerton. Like, were you thinking, okay, I want to do. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to be an athletic trainer. But that um, field's broad. It's a big field. Um, you know, and then you're coming from a school that doesn't have football. Right. So like, right, football's got 9,000 trainers. So it's like, <laughs> right, like, were you thinking like, mm, I want to go see what the other side of the fence looks like and greener? Nope. <laughs> did you want to stay away from that? Because yep. it's a love-hate relationship. It is. I didn't. With football. And so to answer the question, when I, the plan was, naturally it was kind of like, naturally for me it was like, all right, I'm going to be an athletic trainer. I want to work at the highest level that I know of. So pro. Sure. Right? But along the way, we had alumni or we had colleagues of our professors who were practicing at higher levels, uh, working, in, working in professional settings. So we would do some in-services and go visit some of these folks. So I remember Tom Abdenauer, um, still talk to Tom to this day. At the time, he was an athletic trainer for the Warriors. And I don't remember where we were to go and see him, um, but I remember him talking to us. I don't know if he was, yeah, yeah, he was working with the Warriors. But I just remember him telling us what the what the day to day was like, um, and what their particular grind was like. And I'm I'm okay with grind, but that grind, I just remember saying like, ah, I don't know if I want to do that. Eighty two games, and um, you know, on the road and all of the stuff. So it was that, and then listening to other people who were professionals working at that level. Um, giving us just the real, which I was appreciative of, because it, that's still for some people. I mean, I've got buddies and colleagues who still who work in a professional setting, and, and they're they're killing it. They're doing a great job, but I knew it was if it was going to be a challenge for me for different reasons. 
Um, so I knew I didn't want to do that. That grind is crazy, isn't it? I knew I when didn't want to work professionally. Those, when you start breaking those hours down, you're like, yep. wait, what? I had a quality. I did have a perspective of quality of life younger, you know, sooner than maybe some of my colleagues. So going through school, my ambition had more to do with pursuing a certain quality of life than an ambition to, res- to pursue a certain type of status or position. Wow, that's interesting for someone so young to see that. Yeah. Normally you get into that and you're like, oh, this is not. I'm burnt out. I'm yeah. burnt out. I, I, need to, I need to walk into a park sometime <laughs> once in a while. Yeah. So like where did that early happen, that flash of life going, I want quality yeah. of life and not. You know, make six figures and travel the world on a private right. jet with, you know, right. Milan right. soccer or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, some of it probably had to do with um, some of my dysfunction early on okay. in the story. Right. So there's a good example of how that disadvantage turns into an advantage because it gave me a perspective. So, you know, like my mom and dad weren't together. I grew up in a quote unquote broken home. Okay. And um, so so as far as home life was concerned. That was a little unstable. So I think one of my natural responses, and again, the social scientists and psychologists could probably um, help dissect this better than me, (laughs) but um, I think there was something to me coping and dealing with and saying, you know what, I want different, you know, um, my parents did the, they did a damn good job, you know, in light of the circumstances, but it had its issues. And so it was like, I think there was just something unconsciously in me that said, it's not, for me, it can't be that way. That's mature for a child or a kid. Yeah. Young adult to see that. Matt, we talked, we alluded to this a little bit earlier, man, but you will, I'm impressed. Many people will be amazed at the maturity level of a lot of people who come from, um, who come from trying situations. You kind of got to grow up. Quicker, you do. Soon, you got to figure some things, something, not all things. Right. And that's, and you know, and that's, the, that's the, the other side of it, right? Because you're so mature in one way, so you start being treated that way, and then it's like, that you actually reveal that, oh, you're still an immature kid in other ways. And yeah, I'm like, still 12. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can cook breakfast and do all these other things right. and take care of kids and change diapers. Oh, yeah, but you are still 12. Right. Right. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I get, I, it, but again, it's it wasn't like a conscious thing. Again, I wasn't like, oh, you know what? I want to be a mature kid right now. You know, right? Things it was just however it yeah. happened. But I, yeah, so I, I wouldn't have been able to articulate it like that n- until I was probably like today, right? Where it was, man, I realized after I started, I knew I loved the profession. I loved athletic training. Once I learned, actually, you know, I feel like the 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 mission statement or the purpose of an athletic trainer, like when you look it up online and all of that captures what I what I've what I feel like is my life's purpose not just to be an athletic trainer so the athletic trainers you know deal is to at the time it was to prevent immediately care for and rehab injuries so that people can get back in the game and I'm like man as I look back over my life this is actually how I care for people how my friendships my relationships this is who I am in life so I feel like my life's purpose is to help prevent injury, immediately care for injury, and rehab people back into life, right? And now I would say not prevent, because I can't prevent anything. I would say reduce risk of injury. Sure. Reduce risk of injury or illness or whatever, immediately care for and help re- rehab and recover. Tell me if I'm crazy. Are you more... Probably. Yeah, well, a little <laughs> bit. Are you more inclined to help a child in high school and immediately... 
be there for them as a trainer than if you're with an uh, with let's say the Baltimore Ravens where there's a staff of five thousand people just physically. But you can help that kid in high school quicker. But it's interesting that there's no money there. That's right. But if you're with the Ravens, you got to ask a little money, but you'll get no time because of the, you're just the demands. That's right. Um, you're not crazy. <laughs> so okay. Actually, uh, not, damn not, it. not in that regard. Sorry. I was hoping to, you were going to say no, but yes, that's what I believe, right? It's yeah. sad. So, I mean, and that's, um, that can segue beautifully into um, why, you know, I started like my own private company and started this nonprofit that we can get into, but let's get into it. I, I, I think that's, that's okay. Huge. So I read, I remember reading a book. I don't remember what book I was reading, but, um, you and I are big readers. I used to be, man. <laughs> I got four kids now. So that's, so you're reading out. like kid books now. I actually, so I am still a big reader. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I'm <laughs> yeah, just reading see? grumpy monkey instead of, uh, you know, uh, Mark Devine's book or right. whatever. Um, well, if you ever want me to come over, I can read three bears to them. I'm uh, really good with that. Okay. All yeah. Right. I do the voices and air. Got it down. All yeah. right. I might take you up on it. So whatever this book was that I was reading, it was, um, it might've been one of Malcolm's books. Um, I, I like Malcolm, but it might've been one of his works where he was, he was, he was talking about like the crazy amount of money that some of these, um, colleges, university institutions have from endowments. Stanford. Yeah, not, yeah, all of third these other world. places. Yeah, third world countries don't have the money. He Stanford was saying, has, like, yeah. if a person didn't give another penny to these places, they would still be leaps and bounds in above everyone else in terms of money and things like that. And he kind of broke some of this down. But the, but the, the point that stood out to me, to get back to your question about my propensity now to help a uh, high school athlete as opposed to, you know, a professional high-level athlete, um, is he said... One guy he was interviewing, I think he graduated from MIT, and, you know, he's studying people's philanthropic habits or whatever. So he asked this guy from MIT, he's like, everybody else from your school, you know, a lot of people from your school <clears throat> donate and give to MIT and, you know, all the other institutions, Princeton and all these other places, that alumni, that, that alumni money is deep. And, but this particular guy wasn't a donor for to MIT, that he, which is where he graduated from. And so, you know, he was asked, like, why, why is that? And he said this. He said, I would rather my dollars go to this state college in whatever town he was living in and have a greater impact on that place than that same amount of money to go to MIT, and it doesn't really have much impact at all. So, in other words, $100 spent over here is going to go farther than $100 spent over here in a place that's already well-resourced. Oh, yeah. yeah. So to your point, um, it's sexy to work at the high... And it's kind of ironic because I work at the highest level of sport right, right. now. I'm an employee of, you know, the highest level, one of the highest levels of sports, the highest level of sport. Um, but, and, but that's a beautiful thing, too, right? Because there's still this form of, like, amateurism to the Olympic movement, Right. It's different than pro sports. Like the Olympians aren't making nearly the amount of money that pro athletes. No, are they don't make what LeBron right? makes. So, so I might still be okay. And 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 maybe the the the, the desires that I have to work for, or why I'm drawn to working for high school athletes, is actually still prevalent for working at the Olympic level. But yeah, it's the same thing, man. You know, some of these high levels they have so many resources. I mean, I know at the pro level, they have a full staff of people, and you still have players who don't receive services from that staff 
just to show you the abundance of, and that's, I don't, it's not so much a bad thing per se, but it just goes to show like, we might need to really think about how we redistribute resources, you know? Um, Because then you have high schools that don't have an athletic trainer at all. You have colleges that don't have athletic trainers at all still on reality, you know? How, okay, when you say that, colleges don't? There's still some small colleges that, you know, and you know what, since we're on record, I don't know for sure, but it's my guess. Right. Let's say, let's say. Division three, division two, right. maybe some. They I, might have a guy. For sure, some a, junior colleges don't have No, them. that's true. I know I that. I know that yeah. for a fact. Yeah. Um, they don't have strength and conditioning coaches, some of them, right? So, um, and, and maybe something else I came across in the past still sticks with me back to this question of like, would I work with a high school athlete over a high-level athlete? Um, I had this thought one time where it, it occurred to me, like, man, the person with the most training and most experience, why don't we have them working at the most fundamental levels to help set these people up for success later on? The people with the least amount of experience actually – some people might yell at me for this, but I'm, you know, I'm like the people with the least amount of experience are the ones who are probably better suited to work with the higher level athlete to some extent. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that these are incompetent people because they're still smart. You still got to know your stuff, but you might not have to have as much experience working with some of these higher level athletes because these athletes have their own experiences, right? Right. They've already been exposed to high level care and all that stuff. And a lot of times they, they know how they need to function. Right. And so they can just kind of guide this newly experienced person who still has some skill sets and competencies on how to care for them. But then on the other end where we have people who are brand new to sport or their bodies are still growing and developing and and they have higher chances of career ending injuries or bad habits that can form and lead to career ending injuries or whatever. Or they can start good habits that can make or break, you know, that help get them into a higher level. Why don't we have those people working at some of these lower levels? Well, and you kind of already mentioned right. it, though. You can't sustain a family, and there's there's no money there. It's not sexy there. You right. Know? So You know that school out in the Valley, right, we're L.A. guys, O.C. guys, where I think it's like Charter Oaks Academy where, like, Will Smith and Wayne Gretzky's kids yeah. all went there, and for a while that school was really good. I did a game because I had to cover – I think it was that Wayne Gretzky's kid and Will Smith's kids were on the same team, whatever they were garbage, but they were on the team. <laughs> yeah. Their training staff look like they uh, were with the Rams, uh-huh. right? They, Artery, yep. their uniforms, right? They got the big rolling cases, the whole thing. And they're playing like Dwarty high. And the guy's got like a fanny pack. Yep. He's got like four band-aids and Tylenol, right. his scissors and maybe some gloves. Like that's a disparity. And you're looking at it going, they got the same 65, 70 kids. They've got a staff of six there you go. that are completely loaded to bear with all the brand new mm-hmm. medical of whatever. Yeah. And this guy's got like a his probably his gift bag he got when he graduated from wherever. From his program. Yeah. From his program. And he's not a full-time employee. Right. He probably does therapy in the afternoon at some clinic somewhere or something. Pete doing PT. And now he rolls in at 2 mm-hmm. o'clock. And he works this game till what ten, eleven. Yep. Makes make seventeen thousand a year doing that, maybe. That part, right. Right. Just that part of it. And you're just like, 
he's still got to take care of these bodies. It's, it's not the same thing. Yeah. It's not sustainable. I mean, and that's, you know, and that's a problem, but that's a reality, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe there's some exaggeration there, but it's not, it's not, it's, that's not far fetched. Right. It's not far fetched. You're not too far off if, if at all. Um, and, and we're, we shouldn't be that way. No. You gotta know? take care of these kids. So we, but then again, you understand, like, well, man, how do we? It's such a big problem to tackle, right? So, this is why, you know, at last, you know, why my buddy Adam and I, um, both who, uh, both of us, and then Kristen too, both of us who have worked at a high level, and then Kristen has high level experience, but he's still in the high school setting, which we love, right? So it's a nice team. Um, to lead this nonprofit, man, to start trying to tackle some of these things and bring away, because a lot of people aren't aware of it. Right. It, and, and when you tell them, it, it, it sells itself. People will see it. It's, you're like, this is not really a, nothing for debate. Like, it's, it's objective. <laughs> if, you won the, if you won the lotto, right, when that lotto a couple of weeks ago was $1.2 billion, yeah. boom, for some crazy reason, you go down, put your two bucks, you hit it. And after you guys come back from your trip from the, the <laughs> island over the place, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you quit your job and say, you know what? I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, and I'm going to go back to Bellflower, and I'm going to work for free with those kids, and I'm going to make it like a better place. You still, yeah. Like, do you have that kind of passion for what you do that you would be like, yeah, yeah? And 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 what I love about my current employer is, I I would say I won't, I wouldn't quit, but because money wouldn't be the issue, I feel like I'd have more flexibility to kind of dictate or arrange for helping in all of these different settings in the ways that would allow me to do that. And people, for the most part, would like, how do you say, worst case scenario is you don't have to pay me. I'm just going to be here because I want to be here. Right. Who's going to say no? I to got me? that sense from my research on you is yeah. that you would be that guy who would be yeah, like, for sure. I'm not going to get a big old beer belly sitting around on the couch, <laughs> like enjoying my $1.2 billion. Nah. Like I would still want to help. Yeah. And I, I would still want to work at the Olympic level because I want to stay. There's something about staying in that. And then I'd have more leverage to, to bridge some of these gaps. You would have some cachet right? to it, right? Absolutely. You showed so up. So now and said, I can like, bring hey, some of these kids to meet Olympians and to see what this is like and use my experience, you know, to keep my tools sharp. Sure. Right. So I could still stay sharp at that level so that when I'm now slicing and dicing at the high school level, it's, precise and you know and it's very impactful when you say sharpen your tools what has changed for you when you graduated to today in your field uh there is there has been a big shift um in <laughs> we so there's this concept called psychosocial um it's called bio, biopsychosocial models, okay. right? Where you're working, you know, you're thinking about the biology, psychology, and then the social, social, sociological aspects of things. Our field has done a really good job of the bio piece. I think in step with just society as a whole, with the whole mental health stuff, the psycho piece has gotten better and is growing. The, social, the sociological piece is the part that has been lacking and that's one of the bigger things that's changing now and and I, that might that's due to probably a variety of things right you've got a younger profession coming in 
And so these younger professionals are more aware of these types of sociological issues going on. They're just more, you know, they they come up in more diverse settings. Sure. They come, you know, you know, when you think about all the different all the different sociological things going on, whether we're talking about LGBTQ or ethnic stuff or racism. Right. Or you know, that was never brought up. And like Julie Max was going through her graduate program. That was never brought up. Right. That you might have to deal with a queer, a queer athlete. No, not at all. Right. Or someone from their setting sociologically, like they might not have parents. Yep. Like that, a- that was not, not brought up when Julie was there. Correct. Now that's something that you are, have your fingertips on. We're, like we're, you're, we're yeah. very aware of. And, and, Unfortunately, the institutions that are that are accrediting us aren't leading the charge in it. Are they afraid? I'm sure there's probably some fears because of it could be a third rail. Tie, there's tied to yeah, yeah. There's you know there's a variety of reasons. Uh, so it's not to say that they they are participating in that regard to some extent now, but but it just they're not leading the charge where they very well could be. Where sure, that's where it needs to happen. But. But it's so anyway, that's how it's changing. Right. So now we are talking more about the sociological issues and you have athletic trainers like myself and my buddy who are starting podcasts talking about these things, which was like that space hasn't really been entered yet. And not just for athletic trainers, but even just sports medicine as a whole. You know, we're we're addressing a lot of those things, too. Um, Yeah, that's something that's not really brought up in the sports medicine field. Yeah. So now we have, um, you know, we've done. Shout out to the, like the Professional Football Athletic Trainer Society, PFATS. So that's basically every every NFL PFATS. athletic trainer, PFATS. Yeah, right. <laughs> they couldn't come up with. But to be fair, right, baseball is PBATS. You know, hockey is PHATS. Right. They're very simple things. Right. These guys probably don't have time to be more creative. They right. Just, yeah. They knew they needed to organize themselves. That, that's but, not their field. Right, They're not right, going right. to come up with something really cool. But my point is like. When we, you know, we got, we got some introductions made to, to some of the leadership within, like, the, the PFAT society and then within the society to actually have, like, diversity committees and things like that. Um, again, like, this stuff is not rocket science. We don't really have to debate much about the realities. It's pretty objective. So it's like people kind of know some of this stuff exists, but then when we spell it out, like, oh, that's it. Right. So then when they hear about what we're trying to do, they're like, oh, yeah, we want to we want to partner up and help. And so they've been tremendous with helping us get going early on and, you know, big, big fundraising efforts and all that stuff for us um, that we're so appreciative of. What's a goal? What do you want to try to like hit on through through the organization? You got small goals, right? Yeah. Big goals, long term. I think the bigger ones are. um, It. (laughs) It started out as, hey, we just want to see more represent, you know, more ethnic representation in the field. That was how it started. But we realized that there were some bigger, more important issues at hand. Um, Los Angeles Unified School District has 80-something high schools in it. 60 of those, these are approximate numbers. 60 of those have football. Only six or seven at my last count. Let's just be generous. We'll just say 10. Maybe 10 of them have full-time athletic trainers on their campus. So when you ask me what is the goal, one of, one of our big goals is to just have one athletic trainer on every high school campus in Los Angeles Unified School District. And that's one person taking care just of. Just one. 400 four, at least. What, yeah, at least. 400. Yeah. What? At least. God, but even just having that one, 
what make a significant difference. But yeah, you <laughs> to, to the point that's that's still not enough. What does it take? What is it going to take to so, get? So maybe I should add. Maybe I should add. I wasn't dreaming big enough. So it's like, what's the goal? <laughs> the goal is to have you know at least two athletic trainers on campuses in LA Unified School District. But that seems very lofty. So at least one. Uh, so maybe that's short term, long term. What does it take? Ah oh, man. From our experience thus far, it seemed like it's taking, it's going to take a variety of things. One, it takes a level of awareness um, for people to know how valuable athletic trainers are, because I think there's still a value add missing there for a lot of people. Um, and they don't, a lot of folks still don't realize the intersectionality of athletic trainers and how many boxes we can check just because of our training and all of that. Um, I've come to consider myself, especially because I'm in a position now and I'm old enough and more experienced enough now where I feel comfortable and confident doing this, but I consider myself a prime. I am, I am the primary care practitioner for the team that I serve. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that every athletic trainer that works with a team is the primary care practitioner. Um, some people might stutter at that a little bit because, you know, you think primary care physician, primary, you know, it's like, right. how dare you? It's like, look, we are practitioners and truthfully, we are primary care. You have enough physicians out there who won't argue with us about that either. Right. They know. They're you like, see yeah, that you guys person are, yeah. every day, you every know day. their body so well. What's so right? What's wrong? So when you think about a primary care physician, you think about all the things that that primary care physician needs to know. And the type of relationship that needs to happen between the patient and the physician in order for that to be a good relationship, it covers the gamut. Psychological issues, sociological issues, medical things, you know, and you think back back in the day, right? Like they know the families, they know, you know, everybody, mm -hmm. you know, they treated the whole family. So they know genetic stuff. They know all of that. That's the athletic trainer today. Right. They've got a nutrition. We have enough information to know about these things. And we're the first point of contact. We need to know how to reference and refer out as appropriate. But we are the first point of contact. These athletes and, and people will only, they will see them. And, and we need to know like, oh man, your, your issue is just you need to eat. You're not having breakfast. So that's why you're not doing good in school. Right. Let alone, that's why you're not performing in practice really well, right? So coaches screaming and yelling at you maybe because you're not. Yeah, what are you having for lunch to eat? All of that. I mean, you skipped right. breakfast. You and had then, a crappy lunch, and then <laughs> you wonder why started. you're then yeah. you wonder why you're dragging at three o'clock in the afternoon. Exactly, exactly. So there's so the athletic trainer, man. So I think what it takes is for more people to 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 really understand the the value and therefore the subsequent impact that an athletic trainer will have on um, a place. And then, of course, finance, right? Money's, right? money's the big issue, as always. It's the scary thing is it almost needs to be a tragedy for, Before. for you know, to shake people. Yep. Like, oh, right? It's the uh, Hank Gathers uh, yep. situation. Or Corey Stringer. Right, Corey Stringer. You know, you need that, yep. like, literally to make shake people at the core to go, like, well... That's never going to happen to our children again. Right. We will find the money. Yep. And we'll make sure we got a so body So the whole there. concussion piece, the big concussion push, right? Like mm -hmm. that was a big deal after, you know, Corey Stringer and all these other things, or heat illness rather. Um, but yeah, it takes the tragedies, right? It takes the, the, the college kids, you know, Nobody dying no, from rhabdo. Right. Nobody at LA Unified on their own is going to be like, hey, you know, we should really add yeah. 40 more jobs. Right. 
or if they are, yeah, that's unfathomable because they're probably trying to fry, fry bigger fish. Right. So it's a challenge, man. Now, now to LAUSD's credit, Los Angeles Unified School District. Yeah, we're not credit, picking on them. No, no, we're no. just saying that as a whole, right. But to their credit, they so there was a longtime athletic trainer at, at, at uh, Venice High School. Um, she's been at that school for a while as an athletic trainer. Over 20 years, I think, too. Wow. And they create the unified school district created a position to move her into the dish into a district role to oversee to oversee athletic training and just, so now this is all recent right within the last year um, so now we I think we might be in a place where at least the converse, the proper conversations will start to happen because she's in place because she's at the tables right she's at the right. tables where policies are made there's she's no voice around, if she's not there absolutely right? and nobody knows to think about these things right, right. so now school board members she's got access to all of these things so while they're making decisions about school and all this other stuff now you have this voice that's coming and representing the athletes and not just from a standpoint of like this is going to help them perform better but it's like hey this is actually going to help at home and in their communities as well, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm we're really, we as an organization we're really excited and looking forward to you know working with and seeing what comes of that you know and trying to support her in that role you know um, as she's been appointed to it recently. Wow. Yeah. It, what you know today and all your experience and all the things you've gathered right and their battle scars through your career. When you look back at, like, let's say Fullerton baseball, what would you try to change? If you could go back in a time machine, what would you change and say, hey, um, I'd like to see this, this, and this done? Mm. You ever thought about that? I haven't, but let me, let me see. Because uh. even as a power as it was in those years, it's, it's fallen off. And the other teams, the SECs, the ACCs, have have spent so much money on all their sports. It's not yeah. just football. They have so much money. They're like, oh, what do we do? <laughs> Let's fund female lacrosse. Yeah. You know, you know, or what? It, and that's the. I knew that was always an issue at Fullerton. What was funding? Mm. We didn't have training tables. Our weight room was a joke. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's pretty nice now though. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but small. But that's the funny thing. When Isaac was there, like I had him on. It's much better than it was, but when you look at it as a whole, yeah, there's like, a disparity. Holy cripes. <laughs> yeah, it's asses to elbows in there. You got people in the hallway pushing the sled. I mean, got it's it. just, yeah. you know, you go, to, you go to somewhere, I don't know if you went to Nebraska or wherever you went oh, on a road yeah. trip and you see those places That's, and you're like, oh my God, yeah. it's the size of Costco. Oregon, all of these yeah. places, USC, UCLA, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Overall, I guess yeah. That's a that's a big question. I'm not. I don't know if I'm. I'm too sure what I would change. I, I guess my my lens would probably be on a more on a smaller level for sure because that's you know that's my perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, like I'm I'm not sure. The only things I would probably change, you know, to help have an impact. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. In terms of them being more successful, I yeah. Because I know I'm not sure. I talked I talked to Chad Cordero about this when he left Fullerton, goes to Montreal, he gets drafted. He was like, the food. Mm, there that's, was, a, that's a big one. He, yeah. And we don't think about that. Yeah. We see them fed, but he's like, I live by the Carls. I ate Carls Jr. every day. <laughs> this is an athlete that pitched in the College World Series in June, was drafted in June, and then he gets a September call-up, and he's in the majors in September. That's he crazy. was four months away from, you know, living on Carl's, and now he's got a training table. He's like, I was, I didn't realize. He's like, I was taking it home. 
I was yeah. taking the food home because like there was food. Yeah. <coughs> we think, wow. But wait a minute, this is a Division One powerhouse football or a, a baseball. baseball program, and the guys were worried about food. And it's coming, yeah. So think about a school like Northern I Northern Arizona, somewhere that doesn't have the spotlight on it. What are those smaller teams? Yeah, doing and they don't even food? have they don't have the success history as like a place like Fullerton, right? Where a George Horton can pull out a, a little a, bit, a little bit of food for it, right? But still, yeah, exactly. Because food's a big problem with the athletes, right? It's huge, yeah. So, I, yeah, definitely for sure. I mean, that's a that's a it's a it's a critical it's a big problem. But beyond that, it's we need to understand how how critical that part of things are, right? I mean, it's it's the food that they're not eating, and it's also the food that they are eating. Correct. Like right? Chad's eating Carl's, Carl's Jr., and you're going yeah. like, oh, yeah. okay, he's eating something, but that's but not what he optimal. needs to eat. Yeah, yeah. It's like putting it's like putting a um, regular fuel in a diesel tank or something. Right. Right. Like that's not going to, he's a Ferrari yeah. <laughs> and he's old. He's getting old, old gas. That's right. A little sugar sprinkled into it. There you, a lot of sugar. probably. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just not good for the engine. Yeah. It's not, it's not in, in, a, in a variety of ways. Um, and, and those issues are probably so, so minute and so small that it's not apparent right away, you know, but over time is when, you know, maybe the impact is, is seen more. Right. Yeah. I I always pulled, I always found them interesting. We had them on soccer. Dan Rankin was one on the baseball team. The kids with dia, who had diabetics, and they had pumps and stuff. Mm. And I always would do portraits of them because it was very interesting. You're, here, you know, uh, Kyle Boyer, I don't remember him. He He's doing, he's College World Series, and he's shooting his insulin for me, you know, in between games and in the hotel room and Dan's playing with a pump on his back and stuff like that. It's like those kids had to be so aware what they were eating because of their, it would have an immediate impact, immediate impact them. And like, so they're, they're totally in tune with their body. Yeah. That's the key. They're in tune with their body. Cause I actually, now that I think about it, some of the foods that these athletes eat, does have an immediate impact on their body, yes. but they're not aware of they're it. They're not aware of it, right? I'm cranky all of a sudden, or I've got a headache all of a sudden. It's like, actually, it could be because of what you just ate. A Snickers bar. The sugar content, <laughs> or whatever, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I'm, you know, or I feel good for a moment, but then like 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, I'm like lethargic, and it's like, oh, it's because you had a big glucose spike, and now you're crashing. So, so it might have an impact, but then it's the awareness piece, too. Yeah, they're not especially especially playing a sport for three hours. Oh my gosh! Holy crap! What you ate two hours ago, before the game, it's gone. Yeah. And now, what are you doing in that sixth, seventh, eighth inning? Yeah. So, what do you do for those athletes? What's the what's the setup for success? Um, man, you know we've been doing some some we've been having some conversations on the podcast this this season though, um, with some some people who are much smarter than me, um. We had this guy, this doctor, uh, he's a medical doctor and a researcher in South Africa. And he would argue that those guys don't need to eat anything. Really? It's a, for optimal performance, too. Why, why does he say that? And again, I won't be able to, you have, we'll have to go well, back and revisit yeah, the, yeah. the episode. This is not a plug for the no, episode. No. But what's, would, what's the name it, of the podcast? It's the At Last Podcast. Okay. The At Last. And, it was, and last it was this podcast. season? It was season two. Um, doctor, I'm gonna have to link the podcast, link a yeah, shitload us, yeah. of episodes. <laughs> <laughs> it's Doctor Noakes is his name, 
Um, and he, he does a fascinating job of like going through the history and telling us about how this stuff started and, you know, um, talking about like endurance. So when you talk about a three hour event, um, and endurance, it doesn't get more enduring than like running marathons oh, and stuff. Oh, yes. So he talks about how he takes us through this journey that I wasn't aware of, of how people weren't even drinking water when they ran marathons, like historically. No, they weren't. You're and right. And that progressively became a thing. And this particular guy started to show that people were overhydrating. And that's what was le- I, he has. He has a case where a couple cases where people were actually drinking themselves to death. Right. And so <laughs> I heard a great guy say, Do you ever see the Roman legions with a water bottle? No. They did just fine. <laughs> They're all right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, let's, let's still drink water and do some right. of those yeah. things. Right. But, you know, and his, his whole thing is, you know, there was a big push about like you're just being a donor and a sponsor for, you know, sugary beverages and companies that say that they're you're fueling your performance mm-hmm. but it's like no nah, you're not really so you know what do you say to those guys or do to those guys in the dugout i mean f- eating foods right and it could be simple things eating an orange or eating a banana it's not they don't need all the performance supplements and the gels and all of that stuff as much as they think they do right you know? maybe having like you know there might be some you know and i'm not a nutritionist right but the uh, the experience that i do have you know having having some some form of protein or whatever because they their energy systems require a lot of power and things like that right they don't baseball players don't need a lot of um metabolic like muscular endurance per se with the exception of obviously like they're throwing repetitively but not everybody right right but what's the average baseball play lasts seven seconds right if that if right i mean that's a long baseball play too right that's a slow roller yeah. double play. A missed ball, <laughs> an error. Yeah, 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 exactly. So we're looking three to three to three to seven seconds. They don't really need a lot of endurance. Um, yeah, so there's just a lot of education, right? The guys are bored in the dugout too. Oh God, you right? know that. So yeah, because you know the snacking and all. You're that. in there with them. Yeah. everybody's shooting seeds and yep. gum and love it. I became a yeah. seed expert. I can get down with the best of them, man. I can crack the seed, take the seed out, put the seed back together and spit it out like it never was touched. Drop some yeah. seed knowledge on us right now. What's your favorite seed? Bigs, 100%. Yeah? Bigs brand. Dill, Flair? Pi- Dill pickle. Dill pickle. Yes, sir. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yep. That's 100%. a good one. Yep. I went, when I was with the Angels, I went through so many seeds. Like, I oh, probably I was going to get, like, a, just a hole in the roof yeah. of my mouth. Oh, it would get so just, raw. Yeah, so raw. But then you change it up, right? Because you're sitting in the dugout, so you go from the handfuls, and then you go to just popping one in at a time. I, you I, just start playing all the games. Yeah, <laughs> I went seasonal. Like, oh, I'm going to do barbecue, then I'm going to do a little pumpkin. Yeah. And then I'll go uh, old school regular, and I'm trying to mix it up yeah. because... Holy Christ, I was making a mess in the photo well with seeds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a favorite pastime of mine. Like, if I go on road trips or anything, like, see, studying, any, I just love, I love seeds now, man. It's yeah. the best. It is. Baseball, such a Baseball did it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> where, where were you seeing your career path going, you know, like, 10 years ago? Did you see yourself where you're at today with water polo? Like, where was that path? And you're like, okay, I'm going to keep moving along. And I'm happy where I'm at. I don't want to go to high school. I'm not going to go to an NFL team. Mm-hmm. Hell, I'm not going to the Warriors, even though you missed out on some rings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, where were you finding yourself where you're at today? Ten years ago. Let's see, 2012. Um, 
No, I didn't see myself here. I mean, because at 10 years ago, so like I said, it's 2012, I was actually working as a strength and conditioning coach. I was the head strength coach at a, at a university, um, a Division II university, which is now in Division One, and w- was critical with starting up and maintaining and developing their strength and conditioning program. Like, so they, I was brought in to start it. You know, there was a, it was an From NA, scratch. It was an NAIA school, and they were going to make the jump to NC2A Division Two. Um, That's a big jump. It's a big jump. And so they, they had enough foresight <clears throat> to know that they wanted to um, in, implement a strength and conditioning program. So I was the school's first strength and conditioning coach. Isn't that nuts? It that was schools don't have weight yeah, rooms. It was or crazy. Coaches. And strength and conditioning. And, and so this kind of goes back to my education at Cal State Fullerton because I went to school to do athletic training, but because Lee Brown was there and he, he, was, he, he loved the athletic training program and he loved his passion and profession too. He was always advocating for strength and conditioning field, and he encouraged us, rightfully so, as athletic trainers to get our cert as certified strength and conditioning specialists to supplement the work that we do as athletic trainers. Wow. Right? And I was so grateful for that because at this point in my career 10 years ago, it wasn't supplementing my career as an athletic trainer. That was my, I was primarily a strength coach, and then my athletic training was serving that. And you said that was Malcolm? That, or who? who uh, the who? professor? Yeah. That was Lee Brown. Lee Brown. Dr. Okay, Lee so, Brown. So why was Lee Brown seeing that as something to do? What was his insight to go like, hey, strength and conditioning is also an avenue that you need to be aware of? Yeah. I think it probably had to do with his relationship with Julie. It, it probably Julie Max's influence with Julie. as well. Yeah. You know, their, their interactions together. Um, and then just, I mean, he, Dr. Brown was smart enough to realize that this stuff, we're, we're, we have the same outcomes. We want athletes to be at their best. So they can perform well, right, and healthy, and actually, that's that's the job of the strength and conditioning coach too. Hollywood casting is your strength and conditioning coach is a former football player that has no neck and he's just some big old beast Meat, who's got yeah, yeah he's got you flipping uh, tires uh, uh, and yeah. pushing you know uh, pick gate, stuff up and yeah, put it down yeah, yeah gator trucks <laughs> in reverse and that's the strength and conditioning right, coach right but really it's not not today it yeah. used to be that was the that was the that was the ethos you know once upon a time but now it's a lot more science based it's right. a lot the guys more, look more like you and i yeah they're more lean and i mean and they're but they're strong as hell sure too, right right to to the point right and and the other thing is everybody's not training to be like a strongman competitor right there I don't are, need my golfer to not no. have a neck. Your linemen, train them. <laughs> football linemen, train them to be strong men because that's, that's, they just need to push people out the way. I mean, there's some more strategies. Sure. I don't want to dismiss, you know, but let's face it. But, they, but the running backs and the wide receivers and the cornerbacks and the Different. point guards and the basketball players shouldn't be training. And the baseball player, they shouldn't be all training the same way. Right. Yes. And especially when you're at a school that that's broad, you've got golf, football. Yeah. Cross country, everything in between. You could take a, you could take a track team, and you've got how many different bodies in that alone? Absolutely, for the different events. And Holy everything. They're training different energy systems. Yeah, so they shouldn't be training. The a same. high jumper and a shot putter, yeah. a sprinter, or just the runners, a sprinter yeah. and the you know the, the, the steeple chaser. Yeah, exactly. Holy God, totally exactly. different bodies. Yeah, you take a you take just you take what a hundred meter kid looks like, and someone who does steeple chase. Exactly, they both run night and day. Night and day bodies. You can tell. Right. You can tell. So I think that's what influenced Dr. Brown for sure is, you know, he's just a good human. And, you know, just the interactions that he had with his his colleagues, you know, at the time, um, which influenced that. So, yeah, that's fantastic. He set you up for that success, man. And all of us, for that matter, because even those who stayed in the athletic training lane, but still had their strength and conditioning background, they have a tool 
to help with rehab and all kinds of things like that. And and now even for me, right? Cause now I'm, I'm, I can navigate both spaces pretty fluid, you know, and the, the, the strict strength coach might have an issue with me and maybe the strict athletic trainer, typically the strict athletic trainer won't have an issue with me, but usually I might run into some issues with the strict strength coach, you know, do you um, feel like it makes you better in both fields? 100%. I know it does. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and even from an employer standpoint, like it makes sense. Like you, sure. you're getting more bang for your buck. So I tell every athletic trainer that I come across, across every athletic training student, um, I, I'm always advocating for them to get their CSCS as well, right? Because it's like, one, it opens up the, your opportunities. You know, I mean, you still need to sharpen your saw and get experience, but now... I do. I feel like I'm a more impactful. If I'm a strength coach, I'm more impactful than just a strength coach because of my athletic training background. Right. And how at least the base knowledge. There are some strength coaches. Don't get me wrong. There are some strength coaches out there who will have to go. They go and do the extra work to get to the levels that they are at. Right. Mm -hmm. who, but I'm saying, like, if we just started out the gate where you have just the basic knowledge to get you certified as a strength and conditioning specialist and the basic knowledge to get you certified as an athletic trainer. And that athletic trainer also got their strength and conditioning. Or or you look at it the other way. Or if the strength coach wants to go and become an athletic trainer, right. they are better prepared than the person with just the sole foundation of strength and conditioning. To get that certificate, what are you talking about? How many classes? Oh, you, uh, you, you need a bachelor's degree. Okay. And you take the exam for the CSCS. Okay. And that, so, and I, I guess that's an important... Because you piggyback that on. That's so. an important thing that you bring up, Matt. So th that's the reason why I can say what I just said. That's why I say it that way, because for a while, you know, I was a, I was a proponent and an advocate for saying, like, look, the strength and conditioning profession should reconsider how they're educating their strength and conditioning coaches, because right now the bar is really low. Once upon a time, it was pretty, probably good, but... And so there was some talk about like making it more like modeling it after an athletic training program where you need to get into a strength and conditioning education program that's separate from just getting your degree. You have to get through that program with a certain number of hours, a certain number of, of competencies that you can illustrate and that you have and then sit for a certification exam. Currently, you just need to have your bachelor's degree. So you got to you could go get your CSCS right now, man. Really? Just go take the exam and pass it. I mean, last time I checked, and I don't think much wow. has changed. So for a, for a time... That's going to look great on my resume. <laughs> we were working... Well, and, and, and you know, there, there have been some efforts from, you know, from the NSCA and all others to, to address this reality. Mm -hmm. So, so they, there was a big push. So rather than revamping the education component, what they said, what they tried to do, and, and I think they're still making a big push on it now, is they now say, okay, there's the CSCS, which is Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist, which you only need a bachelor's degree for. But then there's the RSCC, which is the Registered Strength and Conditioning Coach. You only can apply for, you still got to apply and take a little test or whatever. Um, some people think it's a joke. I, I think it, I appreciate the efforts that they're making and I can okay. understand it. Um, but you have to have, ex they, they now factor in experience for that. So you've got to have a couple years of experience and have to have a letter from someone else in an athletic department because that shows like you have actually coached, right? And you've actually cut your teeth a mm -hmm. little bit. And, and then the whole push was to say, all right, we're going to then go to professional leagues and whatever and say, hey, for team settings, you should only hire RSCCs, you should only hire registered strength and conditioning coaches, not people with only their CSCS, because that's going to separate 
the person who has their CSCS, but they just, they're like personal trainers. Right. And the person who has their CSCS, but they have team experience. So um, it I think it worked for a while because the MLB, I think for a time, all of their strength and conditioning coaches are registered strength and conditioning coaches. Wow. Last time I checked. That's good. So you couldn't just be like a recent college grad in, you know, with a degree in English and then sat for your uh, CSCS exam and then try to apply or get a job in the MLB. Right. You know, so that was kind of their way to separate the herd. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, all of that to say, you know, 10 years ago, I did not know that I would be where I am today. Um, I I knew I. But here's the thing, Matt. I, I wasn't worried about where I would be because I knew I had options. Okay. Because I knew I, I because I'm an athletic trainer, a certified athletic trainer and a certified strength and conditioning coach and a couple other things too, right? I had a couple other interests and things. So um but I didn't think it would be at this level. But it looking back and and really considering it, it makes sense that I am where I am now. I, I remember telling my wife, just through my work experience, I've been in a, a variety of different places, but I've always liked the idea of working for a nonprofit organization. You know, and just kind of the ethos of uh, like what nonprofits stand for, right? Because they're usually trying to address a need and and not at the expense of someone else. You know, I mean, you need money and all of that, right? But they're not necessarily trying to make a profit just just to pad their pockets, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. if any profit that we get, we want to use that to continue to make that thing better. Um, we want to make sure that people are getting paid properly. Don't get sure. me wrong. But the, I mean, come on, let's face it. There's a, <laughs> there's a certain point where it's like, this is excess, right? Right. right? Like, um, 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 what's the, what's the term I'm looking for in terms of like your, disp- uh, not disposable income. Is it, is that the word? Yeah. Discretionary, well, yeah. discretionary, discretionary income, right? So there's a certain level for all of us where everything else that we make is discretionary. Like all of our needs are met. We're eating well, like, right. You know. Things are covered. So, um, so I was always attracted to the nonprofit world and that idea and the Olympic level is just that. So I get to work at a high level. So I also liked working at the high level of sport, right? Because there are some fascinating things and the, the collaboration of the different professionals working together and, you know, being able to see some cool things. Is that what drew you to where you're at now with the Olympic team? It, it didn't. No, it didn't draw me because I didn't realize it until like later. Um, once you were it there, was, it, it, yeah, it was, it was, that seems to be a theme in my life. Huh? <laughs> once you get there, you figure it out. Yeah, wow. This yeah. is great. I t- there's a God, man. I'm trying to tell you, um, <laughs> he's got a plan he's for He's got you, a Chris. plan for my life. Um, but I, so there were some aspects of it that I, I realized before I took the job, but once I got it, not too long after I got it, I started to unravel some of these realities. Cause the more I learned about the Olympic movement, I, I really fell in love with it. You know, really? And that's not really atypical of me because anytime like when I work at any organization, once I get inside, I like to really dig into the mission and really understand the history, understand the story. Who are the leaders? Who are the people? What's the goal to really try to embody that right through my specific lane? So that's kind of what I was doing through the Olympic. You know, I'm like, let me learn more about this. But when I learned about this particular movement, it's like, whoa, I actually have like like core values that line up with this stuff because Olympism has to do with social stuff it has to do with sport it has to do with education it has to do with art you know it has to do with like cultural multicultural you know all of these things um and then you know so so my employer i'm employed for a nonprofit. 
Yeah. It's a, it's a nonprofit organ. All NGBs, all national governing bodies are nonprofit organizations. So it's like, oh, cool. I get to tick that box. And and now don't get me wrong. There are some aspects of my job, and this is no slight to my employer, but there's some aspects where it feels like a damn nonprofit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where cause, because, but that's the other thing that you respect about not a lot of nonprofits yes. too, right, is they get a lot of stuff done with with basic resources. Right. Right. They're frugal. They, they run just lean go, staff. Yep. Right. But our, I mean, and again, like our, our organization's done a good job of putting people in place and funding things that need to be funded. Um, but, you know, uh, we don't have the same amount of resources as some of these colleges and universities, facilities, no. yeah. or anything Look, else. The women, I think the men at the two at that point, where they were training at the, the naval. The Joint Fair Space. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, base we, we for the longest time. We just left there. I would shoot their events there for years and I'd be like, Jesus Christ. So you know about the, uh, here's a little plug. So there's actually um, plans in the making for a national training center, a national Olympic training center for the water polo team. They've been saying that for years, especially <laughs> once they boot, built Chula Vista. Got it. They're like, oh yeah, the water polo's next. Right. Yeah. And I Here think, we go. And I think for the long, one of the pitches... 25 years ago was in the great park when they were planning. So for that's the, where the plans are now. Right. When they were, but this is when they were tearing down old Toro. Oh, okay. This is like in the nineties. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to put them there. So they're kind of be like, yeah, it'd be great. Well, if I understand 2022, later, right here we go. Yeah. If I understand properly, um, like city council meetings have been happening. Like plans are actually been, have been rendered. I've seen plans right. um, of that. So we're, I, I think we're supposed to be slated to be breaking ground. Like whether it's later this year or early next year, and then the men's and women's team will both be housed there and this this about damn back, time yeah at the OC parks so yeah but prior to that yeah they're at the joint the women has been at the joint first base the men were there for a while and we were kind of just jumping around using jumping high school around, pools. yeah high school pools I done stuff in Corona Del Mar yep. and the men's team and you're like what, what the hell but and what I love about it is but we're still getting it done right. Right. Like guys are still getting prepared and going to competing at the highest level. Talk about water polo, because I think it, people don't understand it. It's an unbelievable, brutal sport. Tiring. No way in hell would I get in a pool with a bunch of freaking water polo players. It's it's like fitness violence at the same time. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it's hard to explain it. Um, I, and I. I listen to how the athletes explain it sometimes. It's like parts, some of guys, I've heard guys say it's like part soccer, part basketball, um, and obviously swimming. Part wrestling under the water, exactly. too. Exactly. Like there's some judo and some, you know, <laughs> yeah. some Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And, um, but, but seriously. I've seen more violent under the water because I've done a lot of underwater water polo. Nice. Especially yeah. when they were at the naval place. It, there is some violence going so on. There's a there. lot of that, but man, just the the physiological demands for water polo players is really, really high. Yeah, because they've got to do things to just stay above the water when they need to, and elevate out and of then it, and get out, and then also on top of that, wrestle and break away from, or push the opponent around, or work around the opponent, and then actually try to put a ball in a goal that's blocked by a, a keeper. You know, or and then, oh, I need to sprint to get back. So now right. I actually got to swim as fast Not as swim, I can. swim, sprint. Sprinting, yeah, right. And then try to do that and then get upright again and do all that stuff. And, and some guy's hanging on you in the, in the section. Oh, 100%. <sighs> so it's, yeah, man, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's the a men, tough sport. The men played like Turkey, Greece, and some other former Eastern Bloc country, whoever yep. it was, Poland, whatever. They what, usually dominate yeah, Serbia, probably. Place. 
And this guy was coming out of the water like you literally well into you could see his half suit, of his, his suit. whole suit. Yeah, yeah. You're just like, yeah, do you know how that is to lift your body out of the water Without and someone? Yeah, yeah, they're not jumping off not the ground. Jumping. <laughs> and some guy's clinging onto you with one arm. Yep. Squeezing your pec muscles, and you're coming up. Yeah, holy Jesus! Yeah, we've got guys who can get like you see their their whole. You see like the top of right. their thighs. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, man, it's. A I try to do that while jumping out of the pool. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fascinating sport, man. Um, the most I do is just swim laps, and you know, you try to get out there and egg beat and all of that. It's it's a pretty complicated. You find thing. out how how normal you are real quick. Oh, real quick, real quick. It's a spe- that, that's a special type of athlete. Yeah. I don't think they get their due because they're like, eh, they're in no. the pool. They wear a little funny cap right, with a right. number on oh, it. Oh, for sure they don't get their due. I give you 30 seconds. Go With ahead. Go. Get in there. Yeah. Some yeah. of the strongest. You want to drown real quick? <laughs> it's just true. Yeah. I won't even put my hands on you. Just start egg beating. What, what, what do you mean? Egg beating. Yeah. Holy Christ, my thighs hurt. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great sport, though, man. It's... Did you find respect for it when you, when you saw it? Oh, big time. Well, of course, man, because my introduction to the sport also took me around the world. So there was a huge respect for it. And that's the thing I appreciate about that sport, too. And there's a couple of the sports like that out there, right? But um, water polo has this whole culture to it, you know, of, of a kind of like class and, um, um, you know, certain levels of sportsmanship and things like that because they get so brutal. I'm like, I don't know if I'd be able to play water polo, even if I could physically. I don't know if I would because I'd have a lot of enemies, <laughs> Because these guys like literally punch one another and all of that stuff. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be cool with you just because you're intentionally doing things to, to one another. Right. Yeah. So I'm supposed to just forget that. Now that we're out the pool, I'm actually looking for the next moment that I catch you slipping. <laughs> <laughs> so I just put an elbow so, in yeah, your hole. Yeah, so I can lay you out. So, but, yeah, but, I but, don't know if I'm that good of a man. But the point, that's my point. So the point is, right, it speaks to the class that some of these guys can show because they leave it in the pool, right? And they yeah. stay. It's not yeah, personal. Yeah, and they develop. They end up, sometimes you have those food, but that's when any sport, right, where it's just like I, they, they're just like enemies, you know. Um, but, yeah, overall, you know, the guys have a way to just leave it in the pool and, and can talk to one another. You know. it, it's funny. I see that with Olympic athletes. There's a bond. Like, uh, they, they've gone through that battle in countries and they see each other. And, uh, you know, they've, oh, I haven't seen you since this international player. How are you yep. doing and stuff? Right. And even if the, there's major language barriers, yeah. they're still trying to like, hey, how are you? How's That's the right. family? What's going on? Yep. And what I start to realize, too, is for the, a lot of the athletes, there's not as big of a language barrier because most people speak English. So mm-hmm. that's helpful. Um, but, yeah, you're right, man. The camaraderie happens, especially in a sport like water polo or volleyball. Jordan could probably attest to this. Yeah. Because when they want to play at a high level after college, they have to go overseas to play. Right. Right. I mean, I guess well, I guess basketball is the same, right, when you're playing at some of the lower levels of overseas hoops. Um but yeah, so then when they're representing their national teams, it, it is kind of cool to see them connecting because they they might play on the same team with that Serbian, with the professional, right. right? Or they're in the same league, and so their teams play against each other regularly in that league, right? And then when they play with the national team, you know, so yeah, man, it's 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 been really cool. I've seen some really cool places, and where where have you seen that you've enjoyed the most? Uh, um. Athens, Greece is probably one of my favorite places. Um, probably because of where we've been the most as a team. Um, but in a close second is Belgrade, Serbia. Really? Ironically, yeah. Our head coach is Serbian. Okay. Um, but 
Yeah, Belgrade's fascinating, man. Um, it, it definitely probably helps that we when we go, we go with our head coach, who's he's like a legend in Sir. He's not so like he is a legend, yeah. So we have a really good time there. But the, the, the place is so full of history. It's and it's a, it's full of a lot of U.S. history too. You know, not so good all the time, but it's still history, right? So it's kind of cool to be in a place to see some of that. Like, I mean, there's still buildings that are in destruction that are that were destroyed during NATO. Mm-hmm. You know, they left it there. You know, so it's like it puts me into, and it just helps shape my worldview, right? So I think that's I could go on about those. That might be a separate conversation, but Belgrade, Serbia. Because of the history and all of that, and, and the culture is actually pretty cool. Um, and the other thing I like about Serbia, too, is at face value, you would think those are some of the meanest per- people in the world. But they're actually some of the most kind people and giving people. But I remember the first time I visited, you know, I'm doing my great American cheery thing and <laughs> smiling at everybody. Hey, how you doing? You know, hello. Hey. Just to strangers, right? Yeah. That's what we do in the States, um, some of us. And I'm doing that in Serbia, and the people just kind of, like, look at me with just a stoic face. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> okay. You know, and I'm like, okay, maybe that person. And I try to get, hey, you know, good morning. You know, or I'd even say it in, you know, their language. and You know, and not even, like, the nod or anything. And I said, what is it about this? And I was like, oh, these people don't know me. They don't know me. No. So they're not obligated to, you know, so it, it, so it was reassuring because it's like the moment when I did get a smile from someone or if I did get attention from someone, I knew it was genuine. So you, what you see is what you get. <laughs> I guess that's the moral of the story. And that's why I appreciate that. That's what I can appreciate with that culture, right? Like what you see is what you get. They're not going to smile at you just to be friendly. You know, it's there's for a reason. So anyway, the culture of Belgrade and then the culture of, of Athens, Greece, the food as well. Um, in Greece and just a beautiful place full of history, you know, seeing the, seeing all the different God, you know, the, the temples of the gods, the Greek gods. And that's where the Olympics was birthed. You think about and, oh, how long those things have been there. That's my point, man. And they're amazing. Like you st- you see these structures in real life and you're like, wow. So thousands of years old. Yeah. Like, so the original, older, old, like older than our country. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You no, know, you've you've seen way. If you've gone to Europe, there's buildings there that are way older than, I mean, uh, uh, the country. But uh, one thing you start to giggle, just like Orange County or where we're at in Riverside or something, you're like, oh god, this place isn't even 100 years old. Exactly, and yeah. that gives you a different perspective. I ate at a bar in Europe that was older. I mean, just right. you know, it's just total different perspective. Yep. What's the worst, ugliest injury you've had to deal with with water polo? Have you been fortunate, knock on wood, not to see anything just yeah, we had a, we could talk about it because, I mean, it's public news, um, but we were at an event in 2019, and it actually was, it was unrelated to sport, it was, un, it didn't happen in an event, we had a, we had an emergency, so there was, you know, after the event happened, the team went out to celebrate, and so they were out at a club um, and uh, in South Korea, and apparently South Korea is known for having like faulty buildings that don't that don't meet code and all of that south korea yeah and so um wow some of our stars we had some players from the men's and women's team there and uh the balcony in this place collapsed and two south koreans died that day at that moment a couple of our players got injured pretty bad just so happened that i was up we were up the street the coaching staff and we were up the street um 
just hanging out and we were on our way back and uh we again god god exists man here we go at the right place at the right time you know you start to see people trickle out the building this is the first time i've actually shared this publicly um you see a few people kind of trickle it out and you think like oh okay it's late you know maybe they're they're getting ready to go home for tonight things are but you can kind of start seeing like people seeming a little disillusioned mm-hmm. you know as they're coming out and you know and then before you it was like a movie from a scene like before you knew it you just start seeing a swarm of people coming out the door not but, but at that point right. you know at that point we're like i don't know we don't know what's going on here so we just kind of keep walking and then i just hear chris and I'm like, oh, these are some of our players calling me probably. And I'm like, oh, man, did these guys get into like a fight or something <laughs> like so I'm really like tempted to like keep walking and not look like I don't know. I don't want you guys to go English. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, you guys, I don't want you to see. I don't want you to see me. I don't want you to I don't want you to be seen by me in your current state. Right. Like we don't have to worry about it. Like what did, what happened last night? We don't. But I, so I, but I, obviously they call me and I stop and I look and I can kind of do a quick, it's dark and, um, I kind of do a quick survey and I'm like, wow, I can see people like bleeding and things. And so I'm like, ah, all right, let me just get closer. And, and by the time I got closer to the scene that every, like it had started raining, it literally is like a scene from a movie. It started raining. You can, there's, you can look at the news reports yeah. and stuff on it. It started raining and just pandemonium was the best way to describe it. Just people all over the place screaming. So, and I could see people injured, you know, and of course now you're like, and and I'm not just talking about our players, just everybody who was in the club. Like, so now it's like, now you're doing assessment. Yeah. Cause now I have to decide like who's just had a little too much and who's actually injured and all of that. So now I'm a, it was, it was like a trauma, a trauma scene. And, you know, I'm seeing people with cuts and, you know, gashes and things like that, but they're okay. And then I come across one of our athletes, and she's got this huge gash on her leg, just wide open. And, and I'm like, okay. So I had to. So I sat there and tended to her and kind of assessed her. Um, she's kind of fading in and out, and I'm like, all right, got to make sure nothing happens. So um, I end up. Uh, I I had to apply an tourniquet. I had to apply a tourniquet to her because she was losing a ton of blood. Um, so I took my belt off, you know, right away. And in my, it was crazy, man. Cause in my mind, I'm just thinking, man, people, people's got their phones out. This is going to make the headlines of the news. It's crazy. It's unfortunate that we have to think this way. Cause that adds like another level of pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had to dismiss like, who gives a shit? Like get back to it. Like yeah, you just, don't have gloves. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, you're like, Oh, I got to make sure. And I'm like, to hell with all of that. Like this is another human. Right. And, and on top of that, this is a human that I know and I care about. So I'm going to do what I think is best, right. right? And I'll have to deal with. But that's another stress that people may not talk about, right? Sure. For, for people who are dealing with trauma. and So it turns out that everything, you know, for the most part was went well, right? In terms of that, you know, she's recovered since then. And, and it was a long, arduous rehab for her. And, um, I, you know, I work with the men's team, but we, you know, we still take care of all the athletes and she ended up going to the, to, to the most recent Olympics and the whole deal. Um, but yeah, man, it was tending to her and, and then having to, you know, and I'm hearing 
you know, other coaches and staff like, hey, Chris, over here, you know, come. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I'm checking on other players and have to make quick assessments to see, like, okay, this guy's clearly going to need some stitches, but that's not as urgent right now. Right. right? You just stay here, hang tight, you know, just doing all these assessments. Um, and then I had to, you know, rode in the ambulance with the, the young lady and having to navigate that whole thing. You know, it's like, okay, well, where's the best? Like, what do you, who do you call? Right. You know, you'd call 911. But you're in South Korea, so is that the same? So these are all the things that we as professionals and practitioners have to be prepared for, you know. And you Do know, you take that now from that situation? Oh, big learning When experience. you go to another country, do you kind of take like, Huge. okay, what is 911 protocol? What Absolutely. is blah, 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 Absolutely. Yeah, so sat with my colleague, uh, who's also a Titan, a fellow Titan alum. Um, shout out to Larnie. Bakurin. Um, so she works with the women's team and, um, yeah, we, we, it was a big wake up call for us to, to see some things were, went well, right. We, we had some, some things that we executed well, but we just realized, man, it needs to be, we need to have a way to where this stuff is, is like, um, written out and fine tuned a little bit more and dialed in, um, not to, not to say take things for granted, right. but not take the situation as like, well, Everything I mean, will be good without me. Yeah, you don't think, you don't, you don't typically think about how do we prepare for a tragedy that happens in a different country outside of the sporting event. A venue, event, right, yeah. You know, because that was something that just, that would have happened in their city, in their location, regardless of the event, mm -hmm. you know. and You just happen to have athletes our athletes were there, right. So we have to be prepared for, you know, emergency situations that happen in those situate you know deals without like related to sport so yeah it was a good wake-up call for us and we learned a lot and you know i think are better prepared now moving forward so that was the worst right i would say is that in that kind of situation do you have to like backstep and think like okay i didn't put gloves on i gotta do some tests uh, and worry about that not too much yeah okay. i didn't have to deal with that too because i say that only because in 2003 when justin gets it in the mouth yeah chris got Ass loads well, of blowback. He didn't put his gloves on. He didn't put his gloves on right away. He was using a, uh, a towel. towel. Uh, it wasn't sterile. Right. Yeah. It wasn't a sterile towel and this and that. But it was one of those things when they went to go assess on him. And then all of a sudden, Justin opens his face and it's just starts starts pouring, pouring out. Yeah. And Chris had a towel over his shoulder. Right. And so. That's the thing that I'm going to use. Right. To I'm going to use this. And it was like, oh, you know, was that the right. Pro yeah. In the moment, that's what I got. That's yeah. what I do. Uh, yeah, was I, am I supposed to be carrying gloves around Gloves in my all the time? Just and then multiple, because you got multiple bodies, so you exactly. got to take the gloves off and properly yeah. dispose of those. And I know, mind you, I was aware, you know, there are practices and protocols, like I wasn't, how I was touching everybody. Right. you're not putting you know, your hands in, in the blood. Yeah. yeah, exactly, right? So, you know. But when you're applying a tourniquet, that means there's a lot of blood. There was, yeah. And I thankfully, I didn't come in contact with any, but had I, you know, it's whatever, dude. Like, right. It's not a right now. the The priority becomes the life of this person, right? You know, and I'm willing to do. I'll deal with whatever blowback that I would have to deal with at the end of that. And and I'm sure that this athlete would have appreciated. They not would have. They do appreciate. They're like, dude, you went to go look for some gloves. Yeah, <laughs> I'm bleeding out <laughs> yeah, on the sidewalk. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. No, it's. Uh, I, you know. I, I, I need, those are small. I need something kind of a medium. Do you have yeah. a medium size? <laughs> Yeah. These are going to tear when I put my hands in them. Yeah. It's, we were in South Korea. So, you know, a lot of things are different outside See, now I thought you were going to tell me you had like a bad uh, dislocated thumb maybe. Yeah. You, you had to pull out in the pool and put it back in. But no. I, I have had those. Right. Too, you have those. Not, but yeah. what's interesting is, is you're always on when you never know it. That's right. Yep. 
And, and so when I, you know, we talked earlier in. about Boom. that intersectionality of the athletic trainer. We are the primary care practitioners. Mm -hmm. So I was on the scene before their EMS was. Right. And at every sporting event, we're going to be on the scene before any, any, any EMS is. Oh, yeah. Right. Absolutely. We're going to be the ones that decide if they need to be called or not, too. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, but even in that situation, beyond just managing the emergency, we have to be aware. And this is what, you know, we talk about in the podcast and other things. <clears throat> we have to be aware of some of the other sociological issues and the other psychosocial matters beyond just bio, like, okay, I know how to do first aid on a person, but now how do I treat the psychology and the sociological factors surrounding not just this athlete, but the entire scene? Sure. Because this athlete had played on a team with some other folks who were panicking. So now as the athletic, I've got to know how to like calm her down. The other, the other person. Right. I mean, it was to the point they were like, okay, only one person can get, you know, the ambulance, only one person can go. And they're trying to all hop in the ambulance with them. And it's right. Like, I got to go with Katie. I got to right. go with Katie. And right. I'm just like, listen, I know you care about them, but I, this is my job to be, if I weren't here, I would have loved, but having to be able to think right. about that in the crazy. Right. Settle down. Right. So this rather is, than just yeah. saying, hey, shut up and get out the way. I mean, I could have been a, a but I acknowledged you know, this is the, the, the psychological. I understand. Ease. Yeah. She, look, I need to go with her, though. We'll make sure that she's OK. La, 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 la. So, it, yeah, man. So that was. Right. I mean, people gnarly. don't realize that, that there's, you know, uh, long relationships with teams like that. And people start getting worried about who's happening and what's happening. And I want to go with and you're in a foreign country. And, yeah. you know, Katie goes off, and if you're not there, who's she speaking to? If they don't speak English, it's yeah. it's a it's craziness. Yeah. I've got access to you know, I, you know, and I've got access to her primary her primary care practitioner, which was Larney, you know. But I'm also there to fill in the, to stand in the gap until she's able to resume her care, you know. Right. So yeah, man, that was a. Uh, it'll never be. Was forgotten. that heavy for you when you got back and you kind of cleared out your you know your mind and kind of went? I can't oh, believe I, that happened. It was big. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, it impacted me for, for quite a while and still has some bearings on me today. Yeah, but I mean. How long ago was that? 2019. So is that one of those things you make the call home and you go, boy, you'll never believe this, honey. Oh, yeah. I called. Well, I sent a text to my wife and I said, you need to pray. She was one of the first people. So I was like. You left it as you need to pray? Yeah, I said, you need to pray. There's was there a, like dot, dot, dot? An, I said, there's an emergency happening. I'm not involved. Okay, thank God. Right? So I, yeah, I was responsible to, yeah, yeah, to say yeah. that. If you so would have just typed, you need to pray. But right away, she, she might have punched enough, you when you got home. She knew where I was. So she started like hopping on the internet to see how quick the media would pick it up. And she started to kind of see what was happening. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a lot, man. And, you know, I went to see, you know, I talked to to a couple of therapists and, you know, processed a lot of that. You know, you always wonder what you could have done differently, what you could have done better. Um, Do you have that parent kind of like, like, oh, my God, these are my kids. These are, you know, yeah, they're adults. Hell, some of them are, your age could be close, but you're you're responsible. You're, yeah. you're, you know, you look at it and you go like, oh, my God, that's a lot. Not, of, not so much. Not the parent. Um, I actually because as you become a parent, it's weird. Yeah, I kind of I actually push back on that a bit, man, because I, I do have a lot of colleagues in the athletic training space, you know, and you hear them and they mean well by right. it, right? Like where they're like, oh, these are my kids. And, and I'm like, that can become problematic, though, you know, because they actually aren't your kids. And when we start to talk about the biopsychosocial stuff, mm. 
if you're if you're parenting, you're going to parent them the way that you think they should be parented if you're really seeing them as your kids. And, and to be fair, I know that most people, when they say that, they're just trying to communicate their love for right. the athlete. Some of them might not actually be a parent over them, but there are some who I have seen where they are, like, not only do they say it, but they act as though they are, too. And those are, that's when things can kind of be problematic. That's a cross-the-line kind of weird thing. It can kind of get a little problematic, yeah. So so to answer your question, no, it, it wasn't more, it was more like, man, this is a peer, this is a colleague, this is a friend, um, and this is someone who's in my care. Was that the period. most, I guess, ugly, bloody you've had to deal with at that point in your career? Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's one of those first ones, and it's it, it's a big whammo. Yeah. It was. You know, kind of rocks you a little bit, and yep. got to deal with it. Yeah, I know. I mean, when you when you see death, things like that, or close and it happens, to it, right? And yeah, or, or you know that kind of where you're treating it as if this could not treating this it could as be. if could, treating it because it could become death. Mm-hmm. Those are really high really, stakes. Yeah, high stakes situations. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> yeah, but it you know it also. Um, as, as challenging as it was, it also affirmed me in a lot of ways, too, right? So when we talk about the value of the athletic trainer, it, it just reminded me um, and affirmed the value um, of, of who we are and what we do. You know, not just every and that's including everything from managing the first aid situation to the entire process of, you know, talking to the parents on the way because, you know, the, you know, they're notifying parents of like what's going on and being available to, you know, kind of keep, keep tabs with them and keep them involved. And yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I read in a, I read a story, this is a million years ago, but you mentioned the King medical mm-hmm. that the army was sending some of their surgeons That's right. there. That's what I meant when I said the right, general surgeons for, yeah. for, for surgery yep. because they were getting real hand like trauma surgeon open wounds yep. that, Pre-Gulf War, they had, you know, in the 80s, they hadn't really seen any. And I'm going to tell you why. A lot of people don't think about this. Because those folks who were in the military, they were going to on to be medics. Um, They were going to be seeing gunshot wounds in the field by assault rifles and things like that. Mm -hmm. And that's what these kids in the city are shooting each other with. Right. Right. (laughs) So you're getting your real-world experience like through there. So I remember yep. listening to one of these ER doctors, and I think it was like Chicago or Baltimore or whatever, and he was as cool as a cucumber because he had been working there for 20 years, and he's like, I've seen it all. Mm-hmm. Like I've got colleagues that work in Utah, wherever, small town USA. They go, they got, you know, broken tibs or dislocated shoulder and gash. He's like, I've got open Gunshot wounds like every yeah. weekend. Sprayed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, they've got ventilated bullet holes all over their body. Mm-hmm. And he goes, that's, you know, after 20 years, it's not that I'm used to it, but I have to just kind of turn that off and yeah. just like, I'm dealing with fixing this body yep. to get it to the surgery. Yep. It's sad, man. Cause you know, and then for people like me and a lot of people, I always ask the next question, which is, okay, I think actually that makes sense that you're sending your your people to get trained here because this is the types of gunshot wounds they're seeing because this is the type of artillery that these folks are using in South Central LA. But then it's, the next question is where are they getting it from? Mhm. Where are they where are they getting AR15s and 
all these semi-automatic weapons from? <laughs> yeah. You know, there's some somebody's distributing those. So, the, the, you know, that that's, and why and why and why do they think that this is the different. the way to use it? Like, what, oh why? yeah, yeah, so and that's God. a different level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. a sixteen-hour podcast yeah, and a four-segment, yeah. you right. know, miniseries that we need to have a. This all these chairs need to be filled up with other experts to help us unpack that. Yeah. No, I've got law enforcement friends and a bunch of them, and they just say it is an absolute jungle, and people just don't understand how different it is in certain parts of this country. Mm-hmm. Like the way the culture, the brought up and the way of survival is. And then like we talked about with gangs reaching distances that people just don't can't understand. They have no clue wrapping their head around. It's complex, man. Yeah. It's not just as simple as why don't they just stay away just from stop. gangs? Just yeah, stop. Yeah. Just say no. Why don't they just stop killing each other? Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Takes two to tango, That's though. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, we can. It's war. We America is good. We understand war really well mm-hmm. as Americans. But just people would understand that. Just make that a microcosm. Bloods and Crips is war. Right. And it's over the same things that we go to war at as a, as a country. Yeah. Money, turf, clout. <laughs> right. Just being disrespected. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. it. Yeah. We are, you know, we are a microcosm. It's a microcosm of our, of our society, you know? So yeah, it's, yeah, it's complex, man. What's the future hold? What do you got? What do you want to, what do you want to do in five years? Uh, um, I'm hoping to be at the 2028 Olympics in LA. You got to go to Paris first. Paris first. Yep. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, working towards that, and do you think you'd be you'll, you're set? You think you want to be here for that long, that for a while? I think so. If they'll keep me, you know, okay. if, if I'm good enough, if I make the cut, um, seems like that would be a cool thing. Um, but beyond that, man, that would be cool to do Olympics in your hometown. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The kids uh, will be older. And they'll be older. So that was the next thing I was going to say. In five years, you know, I'll have a son uh, who's they out of high school. It. Yeah. yeah. So that'll be a big thing. Um, Isn't that crazy to say that out loud? It's insane. You have a son out of high school. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yep. It is. Yeah, but I, you know, five years down the road too. You know, also. Um, Seeing this nonprofit work, you know, hopefully maybe seeing more athletic trainers in Los Angeles Unified School Districts. And, um, you know, we're still out doing the work of trying to close these gaps and the disparities that we see, you know, with providing care, not just to athletes, but that what it, it turns into health care for communities because mm-hmm. they go home to, you know, um, we had one of our guests was talking about this, too, where it's like. In certain communities, you live on the street. You might not, you might not have access, but your neighbor's a doctor or a nurse, or you're you're one or two degrees removed from an allied medical health care professional, right. right? As opposed to a lot of folks in the inner cities, like that's not the case, you know. So it really makes more for the case of uh, athletic trainers being at the school, because then not only are they being cared for, but then they're able to ask questions to know how to then care for people at home. Right. Basic things, you know, as they're learning to care for themselves, they're able to start learning things for, for them to do at home. So yeah, I'm hoping five years from now, um, we're rocking and rolling with the, with the nonprofit and we've helped put more athletic trainers in schools. 
um, and we've helped support and bolster athletic trainers that might already be at schools but just need some more support and help. Um, yeah, man, and, you know, I'm still enjoying, hopefully still enjoying craft coffee and <laughs> a craft beer here and there, you know. So, yeah. What advice can you give to people on just taking care of themselves, right? Because this pandemic's got a lot of people rattled in the head. And then physically, they haven't taken care of themselves like they should. Like they haven't gotten their oil changed or rotated their tires. Mm. There's a lot of people with spare tires and leaky oil. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Like what, 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 what advice, right? Because you're dealing with elite athletes, but you're a regular Joe, but you got, you know, you know the body so well. How can people be better at taking care of their body? Yeah. That's a good. That's a. That's a. That's a simple question, but it's a. It's a hard question. It is. It's so complex because people will just, you know, where do you start? You want to start with like, just get your ten thousand steps in a uh, day. I got you. I got you properly. So there's enough of that, right? And and so for some, that's might maybe that's so. It really depends on where you're at. But I think if I had to just give one piece of advice, it would apply. I would give this advice because this particular piece of advice because it would apply for folks who've who've maybe already been on the path and then for others who may not. Um, it comes back to purpose. If I, I, I think that if you don't really have a purpose for living, why I don't, why do I even care about living healthy and, and doing something good for my body? So I, I think it really boils down to that is to know your purpose in life Um and start there and really start asking some of those deep questions because I have found for me and for a lot of people that I work, actually all the people that I work with, it just so happens that for athletes, they're per they know but they're they're clear about their purpose. That's the more obvious one though, because their purpose seems to involve physical activity. That the obvious physical activity, actually beyond normal physical activity, mm -hmm. their activity actually requires activity that that can be detrimental to their bodies, <laughs> if we think about it. Like, our high-level athletes are beating their bodies up to do what yeah, they do. Destroying. You know, even lifting weights. We're building, we're breaking things down to build them back up, right, at the levels that we are. So so they still have a purpose. But for those of us where it's not so overt, um, still knowing what your purpose is and being really clear about that, like a deeper, you know, um, a, a, like asking the question, like, what is a life worth living for you? What is, what is a life worth living for me? Because when I really tell that story of the life worth living, I can then better validate and justify why health is more important. And it's more relevant now. So now it's not just because I think there's a stigma of health and wellness where it's like it's reserved for the people who just want to be super fit and look a certain way and live in the gym and eat a certain type of diet and all of that. But if we talk about asking ourselves, what is a life worth living for me? D just don't even talk to me about health. Just tell me what is a life worth living? Oh, I want to grow long. I want to live long. I want to see my kids. I want to play. I want to be outside. Whatever it is, if it involves a profession, I, you know, I really love teaching. I love whatever your thing is. And then we can start to whittle it back to the common denominator, which is you can't do any of those things unless you're, there's breath in your lungs, right? And then not just breath in your lungs, but quality breaths, Right. You can't do some of these things unless you're able to walk and talk and and do it in a quality way. So mm -hmm. now we can start making the connections to why we should at least just be more aware and pay more attention to 
what it looks like to live a healthier life because I can connect it to that being a life worth living, you know? Yeah. So. That should be on a t-shirt. That was pretty damn good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think you know what you're doing. Shout out to, uh, I just, we, uh, we just went from, I'm a, I'm a learner. I just said, I'm a learner, man. And a teacher, I guess, which makes me a learner. <laughs> <laughs> um, my wife and I just went to a, we went to a workshop. Um, shout out to Angela Goro. Um, Dr. Angela Goro. She does work, um, on this, on, on this, this concept of living a life worth living, right? So she's, she's, a, she's a far more brilliant thinker than I am, but she just shared an ounce of her knowledge and research and experience with us, you know, especially with these kinds of questions. Um, what does it mean to live a life worth living? Like, I, I think that's the crux of life, man. She's, because, she nailed it. Because if we can add, if we can answer those things, that can inform everything else we do. Yeah. Right? I mean, when I look at me, for sure, like, oh, you know what? I'm going to kind of watch what I, I mean. I'm still going to partake in this kind of way because I don't have to worry about the same thing that the athlete has to worry about. So actually, yeah, I'm going to exercise and I'm actually going to eat a certain I'm going to enjoy this fatty food. And, you know, I'm going to have a little bit of sugar in there. But actually, I'm going to be more careful about the sugar because I am understanding that the sugar impacts things for me later on in life. And actually, I want to live long, not forever, but long and at a high quality, you know. Right. And so I'm able to make that connection. So then it's easier for me to say no to the sugars. Right. But if I'm just like, oh, don't eat sugar. You know, here's be you, you would answer right. told me to ask question. Hey, what's the advice? Hey, leave sugar alone. That doesn't land with anybody. No, you because know? somebody wants a piece of birthday cake of once course. in a while. And they should. Yeah. <laughs> or, or take 10,000 steps. Well, that might, that might not land as well as first, like, let's talk about why that's important, you know? So. Right. Anyway. I mean, my kids always used to ask me, like, why are you lifting weights? Why are you working out? And I'm like, so I'm healthy longer for you. Yeah. So when I'm 70, you're not helping me get up and down steps. There you go. Right. You've I'm got not, some idea of a life worth living. I'm not shuffling. There you go. I'm moving. See? I'm doing this so your life's better. You're not sitting around going, okay, who's got to take care of dad? See? Yeah. Beautiful. That was. It, so that's the advice. I think just people starting, get away from all of the fad topics. Right. Diet, steps, exercise, squats, weights, or not, CrossFit, blah, 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 nature. Well, it's, you'll see it in every segment of yeah. Cosmo or Men's Fitness right. about how to just, you yeah. know, do Those this, Those things do are that. good, but, like, don't start there. Start with, yeah, start with why. Start yeah. With Simon, Simon Sinek, right? Start with why. What's, what's a life worth living look like to you? Because once you can answer that question or have some, have, at least have given it some thought, then, you know, that can inform some of it. You might decide, like, oh, I don't, I don't you know, a life worth living for me is just to... Eat, drink, and be merry. Well, we don't. I don't need to give you advice on living healthy. Right. <laughs> I'm actually tell you all the great spots you should check out <laughs> to go and eat and drink. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Let me tell you where to hit the yeah, spots. Make in sure Europe. you visit this, this, and this. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, what's the best? Uh, and when I say best, the one maybe like you inform the most in your podcast that you've done that you were just like mind blown, like poof! Oh my god, that was a great guest. Man. I I know I'm biased, but we've had a lot of great. You you gotta go. You'll see. I'm gonna take a deep dive. But let me let me think. Um, probably Doctor Noakes and Doctor Lustig's episodes. They're two separate episodes. Doctor Doctor Lustig talks about the negative impacts of sugar. Okay. And Doctor Noakes talks about 
his work with like specifically like with sugary drinks. So I'm guessing neither one of those were sponsored by Snickers or Gatorade. Absolutely not. <laughs> and my, we all we we talk. We're like, man, Gatorade is probably gonna hate <laughs> us because I mean, well, and well, the, here's the other thing is the higher ups and the hist- people historically know uh, they know these two names. Because these guys are the ones that are calling them out. Right. They're yeah. calling out the food conglomerates. They're calling, they're like, they are. Yeah. They're not coming, on the board of directors at McDonald's. Right. Well, one of our guys, they're like, I don't take money from food companies for, you this, can't. for this reason right. so that I can do research. So, Noakes and Lustig, and the, the reason that it stood out to me is because they really, yeah, you know, sugar isn't the best for you. But these guys at my age help to really illuminate how deeply, like, embedded this stuff is like he's 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 really helped me to kind of consider like I can make a legitimate case now for how sugar is a legit toxin yeah like so we you know we have parameters on alcohol can, yeah. and nicotine and cigarettes there needs to be label there needs to be warning labels you can see what it does sugar. to people yeah yeah so that that blew my mind because I'm like gosh and then I go in my cupboard in my refrigerator and I'm like it's Shit, everywhere. It's <laughs> As your kid's sitting there eating. Yeah. How can bad? I have, yep. Yeah. Asking for more of yeah. it. Yeah. Right? Can so, I have some more of the pudding? Yeah. So again, like, we're not, I'm not anti-sugar. No. Right? But no. I am anti. It's portions. Yeah. It's portions. But, and these guys would go, so they would say, no, no, no. Right. This, you right. know, like, like anti, but it's the same way I'm not anti-alcohol. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not anti-nicotine. Right. Like. Have a birthday cake from time right. to time. Have but some no, red wine. But knowing that the birthday cake can have this impact on you. Right. right? And and just, just know that and know what the effects are. Know that it, you can get addicted to it. Know that you can, you know, it can cause some of these problems the same way that if you have a glass of wine or if you drink, just drink it. But know that it can have some of these secondary impacts that you don't realize. So th- that those those two episodes, Dr. Noakes and Dr. Lustig, were probably the more the most mind-blowing um, conversations we had all right what's the podcast the at last podcast streaming on all the different platforms whether it's spotify itunes uh, amazon all all of the platforms a t the t-h-e-a-t-l-a-s-t podcast um and our social media we're big on instagram mostly right now so it's at the what is it i need to look it up the at the at last pod Okay. Uh, let me double check this. Well, you said side effects. I my side effect was anytime I have like a cake or anything sugary, I just figure, okay, it's just ten more thousand miles on the rower. That's <laughs> my go. side effect. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you, if I'm yeah. gonna have the cake, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna take it off sure. on the rower. Yeah. So you use it. So yeah. it's at last pod. A T L A S T P O D. At last pod on social media on Instagram. Um, well, I hope it blows up after this. Yeah, man. I'm gonna take a listen on the ride home. All right. It's Let me been know what awesome. You I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this. It's been Appreciate great to catch me. up, see yeah. that mad beard all in full <laughs> in person, <effect>. baby. <laughs> yeah, it's been over a decade, right? I know. I'm, I, I was actually thinking, I'm like, man, I got to ask Matt if he can go into archives and find some more pics. Um, I could dig it up and see what we can find. What you can find. And, and actually, man, we probably need to get you out to, to you know, once we gather the teams in the summer, man, it would be, because we don't, we don't, we've been doing better, but we could use more resources to just get picks, sure. you know, the guys, and the guys love that stuff too. Yeah. You know, so. Especially like, at this point in their career. Right. I might right? get you up to. Some of those guys, it's out. their last run. Yeah. 
seasonal like that you know a lot of them are yep. trying to look at like having families starting yeah. yeah can i get to paris can i get to la it's a whole yeah. gamut especially the olympics it's every four years yep. you know it's five for the last one so that kind of pushed right. people back and now three for this one yeah, yeah right. so it's real weird <laughs> i mean that's what i talked to jordan about when you start looking about babe when you know getting married having babies yeah, on, right. on the that's, ladies <laughs> side that's yep. a huge thing yep we, we, as men, look at it like, well, <laughs> good luck. Right. We don't have to carry and have our body change Chain, literally. and lose a year of your athleticism. Lose it. Gone. Yep. Right? You can't and then wait. have to work back from back. that and still go and kill and it. And still care for that child. Also. Right. So then you make these all these crazy decisions like, am I breath? <laughs> like, it's weird for two men to sit on a podcast and say, but these women have to think about things that we only have a discussion with. And it shouldn't be am weird. I, am I breastfeeding yeah, I after this? That's right. No. Can I? Like, like you're like, oh, maybe I can't. Or maybe I could do only breastfeed for two months. But then once I start training, I'm going to lose that milk. And I've got to start eating a different way. It's just a whole difference. Yep. So when you think about athletes in a way, you kind of think of it like that. Like, especially Olympic athletes. Yeah. Those four-year cycles are rough. Yeah, they are. Yeah, Jordan's, Jordan's dope. She's awesome. Yeah. She's fantastic. Yeah. She's one of my favorite athletes. I've known her forever. Nice. She's an absolute stud. Yeah. I'd do anything for that gal. She's great. Yeah. She's gold. You, sir, are killing it. I'm glad you're doing great. Thank I'm glad you, you're still in love with the nonprofit and working at it. That's like the best thing ever. Yeah, appreciate it. You know? Yeah. Getting some knowledge on a podcast, dropping it for people. Yeah. That's affirming, man. Thank you for... Has it, has it felt good to do the podcast? It was fun. The second season was actually hard. The first season was great. We were all at home for COVID, right? So that played a big part. And we're like, oh, this is great. Yeah. You know, we got the great resources. It was fun. It's still fun now for the second season. But, you re- you know, you start to realize, like, man, it was some of that, that enthusiastic beginner mm-hmm. that helped you oversee the challenges of, right. of you know. But it's, 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 it's work, man. But we, we have a lot of fun. It's the best part of my podcast yeah. is the research and learning, seeing the guests and yeah. learn from them. And I like to talk and listen and talk to other people. So it's like, yeah, why not? Yeah. I learned today. Yeah, good. I got two hours of knowledge yeah. today for free. <laughs> At least, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I apologize in advance for the listeners. We got to lis- listen to this on double speed. At least yeah. I got <laughs> No, we'll sound like yeah. chipmunks. Yeah, that too fast. Maybe it's okay. Time and a half. Hey, confession, I do I do speed up some podcasts sometimes because I want to get the content. You yeah, know? no. And then I have to slow it down if I, you know. Yeah, well, what did he say? Hold on, hold right, on. Right, right. Yeah. Chris, thanks, man. You're okay. the best. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. All right, brother. Thanks. Be good. Yep. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Chris. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the like button, become a subscriber to the podcast. And remember, you can follow the Just a Good Conversation podcast on Instagram. And you can find all of our past shows at the website at justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.